castle, an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome to August 26, 1991 in the Legacy Series. It is Madison Square Garden. It is SummerSlam 1991. Good morning, good day, good evening to you wherever you are. We are entering a pay-per-view where the main event is billed as a match made in heaven and a match made in hell. And it really feels like they're being unironic with that second half. It really feels like they have descended so far in the main event scene that they're just calling it what it is. I even thought for a moment when watching this pay-per-view that the Triangle of Terror is the Hill Bushwhackers. And that's no insult on the wrestlers, but you know what? The credibility, the gimmick. Can you imagine if Ric Flair was here and Hulk Hogan was gone and Ric Flair spent six months wrestling Bushwhacker Luke who beat The Undertaker at the Royal Rumble to go to WrestleMania? You end up with a match made in hell. But you've also got a match made in heaven. And it's funny to me, in a world of professional wrestling, in a world where there's a match made in hell that's coming out of war, brother, that the match made in heaven, the wedding, will go on last. And then beneath that, Bret Hart is on the rise. Virgil's on the rise. We got a pay-per-view that treats WWF like it's WCW in that we got multiple singles championships. We got a lot going on. It's the middle of the year. It's the middle of a move and shake in this wrestling company. Things are changing. It feels like heaven and hell are in a tug of war to see which direction this company is going to be pulled. That's why there's so much friction. That's why there's so much movement. That's why there's so much action right now. Ladies and gentlemen, grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. We are back after a brief absence, and it is time for SummerSlam 1991. The matches, they are made in various places of the afterlife, and we're going to bring them all to you and decide where they all really should have gone. And I think, actually, they got it pretty right this time when assigning uh, eternal resting places for these matches that we are going to talk about. Uh, I'm very excited about this show. It's going to be a very good time, I think. Uh, SummerSlam 1991, I'll just say overall, man, if you made a couple of changes to this show, we could be talking about an all-timer. we got some highs. we got some lows. We are going to be having a lot of fun. It's 1991. We are in that period that we have been looking forward to since the start. We're right in the thick of it. Things are happening in the WWF. I'm very excited to be back, and I hope you are excited to have us back. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a very good pay-per-view with a lot of things going on. Uh, we got our 80 stars in Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan kind of perched still in the main event scene, but there's more and more surrounding them. You know, they're not just there, and them being there is not enough. I feel like Hulk Hogan in particular is trying to call – uh, something out of nothing 
but nothing into nothing is more nothing. It is not something. And so his magic tricks are becoming thin. They're becoming more what I grew up with in the 90s, where he's going to call this very match. This is the closest he's been to feeling like it's 1984. Is it really Hulk Hogan? Is it? Brother, no, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) Yes, they will even uh, acknowledge history amazingly, which uh, I don't know if that's admirable or a show of desperation, but certainly it is not like 1984 in the main event. So let's put that to bed right away. But, man, there's definitely some interesting stuff happening here. There is, absolutely. And speaking of history, when we get into that savage Elizabeth, you see the difference between forced Faked history, overemphasized statements that keep missing the bullseye because there's not even a bullseye in that program to hit. And the ease of Savage and Elizabeth, where all you have to do is show a video and let them come out and let it speak for itself because history is actually with it. There is continuity with it. So we got those main events that that contrast it is so Fitting that one be a match made in heaven and one be a match made in hell because they contrast each other so deeply. But then you got you got Ted DiBiase defending a singles championship. You got Mr. Perfect defending a singles championship. You got Bobby Heenan in the booth seeking out Hulk Hogan on the side because a man named Ric Flair may be on the rise. Uh, before we jump into it, what stood out to you about SummerSlam 1991, my friend? Oh, what stood out to me is just, once again, marveling at how well the company rebounded after sort of a lifeless period that we talked about and some bad decisions. Man, this is a very rich card. We talked a lot about richness the last time. You've got your perfect versus Bret Hart, which is a big favorite match for me. You've got DiBiase and Virgil, which is just overflowing with heart. It's a wonderful match that I can't wait to talk about. You got this this wild, wacky angle with Big Boss Man and the Mountie where somebody is going to jail. You got a lot of big, colorful, larger-than-life, shall we say, things happening on this card. And uh, it's just, it's a very good card. And if it weren't for just a couple of things on this card, I really think we could talk about this as one of the best Summer Slams. I don't know if it stacks up because of uh, a couple of drawbacks that we're also going to talk about here. But, man, there's a lot of great stuff on this card. Yeah, surprisingly to me, uh, one of the first things that worked, I thought the Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, Roddy Piper three-man booth, at least on this night, did pretty well together. Yeah, definitely Roddy Piper's best night ever on commentary, in my opinion. I'm going to have tremendous praise for him in particular in one match. But, yeah, no, these three guys, they work very well together. Uh, This is the team that kind of ran primetime in uh, 1989, so I don't know if they just have the experience or if Monsoon and Heenan are kind of better at guiding Piper or Piper just has more experience or Vince isn't there and that might actually be a good thing. I don't know what it is exactly, but, yeah, no, it is a great commentary team tonight. It is without a doubt. So we're going to get into it. We're going to go straight to the ring because we are kicking off with a six-man uh, tag team matchup, we got the Dragon, we got the Texas Tornado, we got the British Bulldog, and they are taking on Power and Glory and the Warlord with Slick. Yeah, this is kind of a unique oddity in and of itself. I mean, uh, to some extent, I guess we're just kind of getting these guys on the card. But still, you don't really see 
big name six man tags in this time uh, anywhere. So it's sort of unique, sort of interesting. Um, I uh, I enjoyed this match quite a bit actually. So I, I will definitely have some good things to say about it here. I thought it was a good match. Yeah. I don't know if it is hit the same level. I think the Rockers have been missed uh, mm. with their specialty in kicking off shows. Um, it's a different kind of match. You got Power and Glory who have been part of some of these pay-per-view kickoff matches. Uh, of course, you got Ricky Steamboat who's going to spend a lot of time in the ring. And then you got a very over British Bulldog just for the record at this night. And then you got uh, Tornado and the Warlord. So a lot to see in this first matchup. Yeah, and I also definitely noticed British Bulldog is tremendously over here. Um, he's uh, not a favorite of mine for a few reasons, but he has his moments, and certainly he has uh, some popularity, which is really, really noticeable in this match. So I'm sure somebody in the back took notice of that as well. Yeah, so um, I am frustrated to say that we have had another manager, uh, Russell the Dragon, who has not talked uh his men how to um escape the arm drag <laughs> it's just something about uh ricky steamboat's arm drag it's inescapable it just pulls you in you know i don't know how to escape an arm drag i don't know if you know i don't know but i mean you gotta get paid for something and if you can escape that arm drag i think you're gonna put this dragon on the run but we may <laughs> never find out i were distracted by his uh fire breathing capabilities that he showed yeah. up before the match perhaps which I think is uh, WWS biggest uh, interest in him at this moment, which is kind of sad. It is unfortunate. Uh, we won't get a lot of opportunities to talk about Ricky Steamboat. This is probably his biggest uh, moment of this run, which doesn't say a whole lot. But yeah, he gets a lot to do in this match, and he's Ricky Steamboat. You know, he looks great doing it, so you got to appreciate that at least. Yeah, shout out to WCW because if this was the if. The, it, there's part of me that feels like this is the end of Ricky Steamboat's career, but yeah, I know that some of his best stuff is still to come, and so that this that's, that's a shame on the house of the WWF who will do so little for him when he is about to change uh, the face of professional wrestling by mentoring some of the guys who will be so influential in the 1990s over in WCW. It's definitely the same vein as uh, El Matador and yeah. uh, what they did to Tito. They definitely are trying to do here to Ricky Steamboat. They sort of uh, compress him into a little gimmick where he could do like a little goofy thing, and that can kind of be his whole personality instead of actually being Ricky Steamboat. Yeah, you got two former world champions in this match, just for the record. <laughs> yeah, wow. Look at that. That's uh, That's really something. Uh, I was very pleased to see that uh, Power and Glory survived being trampled by the Legion of Doom at uh, WrestleMania. Yes. They're here opening the card, and I would have rather seen them in some of these later tag matches that we're going to talk about. But still, they survived. They're here. They looked very good in this match as well, I thought. They did. They got some mild to modest pops as well from the Madison Square Garden crowd. Uh, one time a standing military press by the great Hercules mm. and Paul Roma. Uh, executing a lot of offense early on Steamboat, so they continue to demonstrate that they could be more than they're allowed to be, which you could say that about a lot of folks in this matchup. That's very true, very true. Um, yeah, no, Hercules continuing to hang in there, doing good work uh, past his expiration date as decreed by the company. So, yeah, Power and Glory continue to be very fun 
Uh, and it's it's good to be able to at least get modest pops after you really got uh, obliterated at mm-hmm. WrestleMania. So I give him a lot of credit for that. And, yeah. We're also continuing Bulldog and Warlord, which is a feud that's been going on for a while. Mm-hmm. Again, just big response to suplexes. Almost everything Bulldog does gets a response in this on this night with this crowd. So over. Definitely one of the most over people on the card. I got to imagine people saw this and they were like, well... You know, let's think about next year, I guess, because we're going to see him main eventing a card, even though he's not going to be world champion. So, British Bulldog, very much on the rise. Yeah, I've been waiting for it to happen. I'm also, I don't, I've never disliked Bulldog, but like, he's not done anything in the series to stand out. So, I'm kind of happy for him. You know, he's <laughs> on his rise, and it's going to be kind of his moment. It's so strange because he's going to main event so much more than I ever imagined that he would. But I think this 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 SummerSlam will be the only time where it feels like he's actually on the rise. Like when he's a heel <laughs> wrestling for the world title, I never thought for a moment he was winning any of those belts when I was watching in real time. Yeah, I can't imagine that you would. I mean, we've heard his promos, so you know, I think even a kid maybe knows this ain't the guy. But uh, I don't know. Let let's watch him over the course of the next year because probably his peak is going to be SummerSlam '92 in terms of uh, relevance. So. Maybe he will show us something more. Maybe he won't. I'm really not sure. We'll we'll wait and see. It's funny how these things work because there'll be no plan even towards almost the end to have Bulldog versus Brett. And yet, at the same night, Brett's getting that company push, becoming the IC champion, overcoming Mr. Perfect. British Bulldog just happens to be getting one of his most unique and biggest uh, pops, you know, in his run. So, you know, things are happening before uh, they're even uh, being constructed to happen. Yeah, indeed. I didn't know there was no plan for that until uh, close to the event itself. That's interesting. We'll have to talk about that more as we come along. Um, also say, yeah, when we get to that in 92, that will uh, spark off a, a long a long history of Bret Hart wrestling his family members. So, um, you know, that's uh, an influential match as well in that way. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit later because mm. this is Bret Hart wrestling Mr. Perfect in Madison Square Garden, and we will get Bret and Owen at WrestleMania 10 in Madison Square Garden. Yes, the importance of Madison Square Garden continues in the Legacy Series. I love it. Historic venue as well. Perhaps I'll go one day. Um uh, one other thing I liked about this match, uh, so rare that you get to see one heel manager kind of put his guys together. Like, usually they have to all sort of be spread hither and yon. But here we get uh, three guys all under Slick. Slick out there doing a great job, as always. Underappreciated, I think. Should be getting the opportunities that some other guys are getting. But, uh, yeah, he gets to throw off kind of his three guys all in one match. And uh, it's nice, you know. They actually have some nice chemistry together. That's a great take. I thought about that as well because you don't see it all the time. It's so strange some of the pairings that you see, yet you don't see families come together like this. Mm. Um, it shows what he's got, even with these guys being lower card right now. Like it's, it's not nothing to have the Warlord and Power and Glory. So, you know, you would think they have an advantage, but again... You might be wrong. We'll get to the the end in just a moment. I just also want to say there was a moment where Roddy Piper says, talks about how much he hates managers, and instantly Bobby Heenan says, you hate managers because you can't get one. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Ian and Piper doing a great, great job together bantering on this night. I think uh, that's probably part of what helped with Piper. He has someone that he can go back and forth with in a um, witty instead of obnoxious way. It matters a lot. I think uh, Heenan a few times told Piper that uh, like his his parents ran away from home to get away from him, which was yes, uh, several times <laughs> throughout the night. So good. Uh, oh man, so I don't know what some of your favorite moves are, just in beauty and form. You might have the elbow off the top rope. You might have the frog splash. But nothing any more beautiful than Ricky Steamboat executing an off the top rope crossbody. Just look at Ricky Steamboat when he does that crossbody. It is uh, a symbol of perfection in his execution. It is, and I was very surprised that Steamboat uses that to actually get the victory. I thought for sure they'd hand it to somebody else, but uh, uh, yeah, Ricky Steamboat gets the win. Davy Boy is very over. Texas Tornado is also in this match. We didn't mention him once, not because he did a bad job, but because the WWF already kind of forgot about him. So, you know, it is what it is. Yes. I would also teach my wrestlers that if he starts spinning around, he's probably going to try to punch you. So just roll out of the ring. But that's a whole <laughs> different conversation. See, it's very hard when you're a wrestler to remember all these tips. You know, it yes. seems obvious from sitting here. But when you're in the mix, I think uh, it just all goes out of your head. That's that's my theory anyway. That's probably the mistake because if they had just focused on the arm drag or the punch, but they tried to give both of them in through the whole thing out. Of <laughs> Great call. Especially man. when, especially if Warlord's one of your guys, you know, he can't remember too well. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh man, that sucks. Uh, so I would have, they would have been better in this one to have focused on the arm drag though. The going into it, I probably would have thought the punch would be more effective, but Hey, <laughs> It's hard to be a manager, I guess. It is. Even a, a guy's greatest slick. Um, and I'm, man, I'm really going to talk later because there's, there's a couple of managers on this show that I really could just do without. And, man, if you yeah. put slick in place of one or both of them, I'd be very happy. So, um, yeah, Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan jumped off the same cliff at the same time in this Legacy series. <laughs> That's beautifully put because especially they're going to splat on the bottom together, too. <laughs> Yeah. So, oh my God, yeah, Jimmy Hart. You'd think he was the only guy left in the company with all they give to him. It's ridiculous. I oh man, you see Jimmy Hart like fifteen times on this show. I swear. There were times in the eighties where he was doing a good job, sure. and for months and months of our show, I could not really acknowledge it, and I did not know why. And now that we're back out here again, and this Jimmy Hart is here, I realize why it took me so long to say anything good about him back then. <laughs> It's hard to shake the the image of him in red and yellow with friggin' Hogan and Beefcake and all the stupid crap that he will do. We are all in on Hills just being annoying and irritating and like, yeah. oh, that bothers me. I don't like him because he makes me not want to watch the product, which is something I've not understood in my life. But it works for some people, I guess. I don't. I you don't hear a lot of Jimmy Hart praise going around, so I don't think they really hit the mark with this guy. Like. You know, people don't say he's awful, and he's not, you know, usually, especially, like you said, kind of in the earlier days. Like, he has his good points, but, man, like, <laughs> sort of the British bulldog of managers. It's like, you can sort of acknowledge the good things he does, but you're also, like, it just it's not all there, and he gets so much attention on this show. It's ridiculous. Yeah, he's with the nasty boys and natural disasters, you know. Even Mountie. I, I like what we're going to get with Mountie, but, you know. 
it still is all they're going for is just the only thing heels can be now is loud and irritating and there's so much more that you can be yeah if if mounty had been his only thing i wouldn't have bothered me so much yeah, but yeah he will just there'll be like a string of promos and he will just appear like again and again and again and just like go the hell away man there are other managers in this company yeah. why does sherry just have one client why is Slick only in the opening match? Why is it just Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart? I guess we know why, because he and Hogan are so close. But, man, it's not its not what I would have wanted to see. It's, he's on par with Hogan right now because mm. he's also saying things in these promos that almost make sense, but they don't really, like, you know, he didn't even check in that day, it feels like. And, <laughs> you know, off we go. He's, he's going to keep getting his lawyer. I think at one point he called his lawyer who was on the way to the jail when Mounty's in the jail, and then the next promo, he's about to call his lawyer, who he just told us he had already called and sent there. And, you know, come on, stop. Uh, and you don't even know why, because Hogan, like, I get it. He's thinking about his next movie, you know, he yeah. kind of has other plans in his life. What the heck does Jimmy Hart think he's going to do? Like, is, is Hogan going to find movie roles for him? Or I can't imagine, so I don't know. But I think it's also a sign of creative, because mm. uh, Sergeant Slaughter's not a terrorist. The natural disasters are not uh, threatening. The nasty boys are not nasty in any way that is makes them relevant. You know, all of these heels are taking on, like they've all been booked out of the same clay or the same idea. You know, we're getting into, I don't know if, if we're becoming more kid-friendly or if we're just doing bad booking. I don't know what the reason is, but, you know, if you're a baby face, man, you ought to have the, the run of the promotion right now. Yeah, no kidding. A lot of these heels. Uh, some of them are very good, but yeah, too many of them are just uh, not very interesting at the moment. Which is hilarious, though, because uh, November and January are going to see heels like turn this promotion on its head. And um, I had a theory that I had forgotten. It just popped into my head. And I don't know if this is true or not, but could it be that the likes of Hulk Hogan spending six months Rustling Sergeant Slaughter, like he's Andre the Giant, is the reason when November comes, Undertaker's going to have his way with Hulk Hogan. When January comes, Sid's going to have his way. Ric Flair's going to have his way. You know, if you're playing make-believe with a heel who's not even, like, in that world right now, you might not be ready for Undertaker, Sid Justice, and Ric Flair in a line when they get here. <laughs> it's a good uh, question. I think certainly that uh, six-month play period will contribute to a certain Hulk Hogan getting booed at the Royal Rumble. I would have booed him already, so he's definitely declining down. And, yeah, I mean, you look at the heels on the show, and, of course, you got your Mr. Perfect, who, unfortunately, is making his last showing. You got your Ted DiBiase. But, yeah, you got a lot of unimpressive people. And you look around, who's not there? Ric Flair's not there yet. Undertaker not on the show, Jake Roberts not in the show. A lot of your most impressive guys who are going to kind of turn the company on its head are just not uh, even involved here. So, so yeah, I don't know. There's uh, a few weaknesses about this show, and uh, they are going to be rectified soon, but you definitely notice them as you walk through here. Yeah, it's a mixed bag, like you said. The, the heels, the great heels are off, you know, doing wrestling matches like it's WCW. And the... Um, <laughs> Like, does anybody in this world think the Nasty Boys can beat the Legion of Doom? <laughs> like, you know, like we're, we're going to have a street fight between the Legion of Doom and the Nasty Boys. 
Yeah, I don't think the armpit trick was going to work on Hawking Animal, so I don't know. The Nasty Boys continue to be a mystery to me, but at least it's weird. They feel like such a WWF team, yet we'll be free of them much sooner than we were in WCW, the Legacy Series. Okay, so uh, this might be your other complaint, but Sean Mooney is in the back and he is with Mr. Perfect and Coach. Ah, yep, he is there with Coach, and uh, Coach is not a major complaint because, like, he barely exists, but yeah, I mean, this is certainly a guy I would have replaced with Slick or somebody. Um, He cuts a very nice, fired-up promo. He says, Bret Hart, you may be excellent, but you're not perfect, so kind of what you'd expect, and yet, still, I enjoy the way Mr. Perfect speaks. I think he cut a very good promo here. Yeah, and again, this is what I meant with the tug-of-war between heaven and hell, and the change into WWF because the match made in hell for whatever it is. Let's just say you like it and you're looking forward. Whatever it is, is so different than a match between wrestling perfection and wrestling excellence, Mm. you know? And so the weird thing is we know which one is about to win out in the coming years. And it's not the obvious easy choice it is actually the excellence and perfection of wrestling that's going to win the day for a while yeah yeah it is uh speaking of people who are very much on the rise here you, you don't rise much more than bret hart during this period uh it's shocking how soon that he will be world champion and how unexpectedly as well and we will talk about that for sure when we get there but in the meantime yes we do have bret hart mr perfect and i, I can't complain at all about this match. I think this is an all-time great match. This is one of my favorite matches from this whole year anywhere in the world. Um, the only sad thing about it, as you, I think, alluded to, is that uh, Mr. Perfect was dealing with a pretty serious back injury in this match. You'd never know it from looking at him, but uh, after the match, he is going to pretty much hang it up and disappear from the ring for uh, for a few years, in fact. And that that is very sad. That is uh, a big loss to wrestling in general at this time. Absolutely. Listeners know there's a lot to be said about this. We can't, we can't move quickly past this one um, because it is, I think the rise of Bret Hart is already happening. This is solidifying Bret Hart. And um, Jim Cornette talked about uh, going to Bobby Eaton's house in 1991 and Bobby Eaton had SummerSlam on tape showing people this match. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. I never heard that story, but man, I if I were a wrestler in 1991, I'd certainly be watching this match because I can't praise this enough. In some ways, this is one of my favorite matches. This is just uh this is amazing stuff, I feel like. They just click so perfectly. Uh, we saw him wrestle once before and I had huge praise for that match as well. It was one of my favorite matches, I think of uh of that first five-year period we did and this one it's going to show up again i think when we talk about it uh five years at the end of that period so these two man they're just amazing together i think yeah i don't know if it's the injury but like mr perfect i think is a little slower a little heavier and in some ways it almost makes the match better because i don't feel like this needs to be a match where perfect is only just bouncing around like he needs to turn on that means I am the veteran, like I am the heavyweight, I am the heel, I can punish you, I can beat you up, I can knock you down, you got a nice little style, but you don't actually work with the grown-ups, and I think you need that because 
the whole rise of Bret Hart is going to be rise, uh, figure out how to make yourself an underdog so you can rise more, make yourself an underdog again so you can rise more. And this is kind of the picture of that, that Bret Hart has all these things going for him. But Mr. Perfect's kind of playing this role where it's like, you can be the excellence of execution, but like you can only execute so much, you, you know, that maybe at the kids table, maybe in the tag team division, maybe somewhere else, but not with the IC title on the line, not with a veteran, not with someone who's perfect. It's not going to work. So Bret Hart, I think, is a guy who is content to work uphill uh, throughout his career, throughout his matches, throughout his storylines. And I think Mr. Perfect is kind of doing a little bit of that. On behalf of Bret Hart, I think, is kind of sunning him and disrespecting him so that Bret Hart can come out of it and upset and shock and claim his place with the IC title. Yeah, I mean, uh, we talked before about how a lot of folks were kind of looking out to help Bret Hart because they respected him a lot. They wanted him to succeed. I'm sure Mr. Perfect was one of those guys. Um, not just because of Brett, but because, as we've talked about, this is a guy who works super hard to make everyone look good that he works with. Um, but, yeah, no, you're totally right. You get some of the big bumping that I love to see from Mr. Perfect, but you also get a bit of a different style. You definitely feel like he's fighting to keep that title tooth and claw in a way that maybe he wasn't against other opponents. He knows the particular threat that he is facing here. And, yeah, it's just a beautiful match. I really love this one. Absolutely. Oh, man, it's, uh, Bret Hart is out in the pink jacket, too, which is not an all-the-time thing. So mm. between that and Stu and Helen at ringside, you might at least have a hint what this night might uh, bring for Bret Hart. Oh, uh, yes. I think the first appearance of Stu and Helen, who will be very familiar uh, figures as we watch along Bret Hart's career. Was I the only one who, who heard Jerry Lawler making jokes about them while they were being shown in the crowd? And I was like, when, when did they get four people in the booth? <laughs> Ghost of uh, commentator's future, I suppose. Yeah. you there. So that's, um, that's interesting. <laughs> okay, here's one. What are you going to miss most in the ring about Mr. Perfect? Oh, my God. What an, what an enormous, uh, difficult-to-answer question. Yeah, everything think, is the easy answer. It, it really is, but I say, most of all, I will miss the way that he really does make everyone look great in there. I don't think there's a single opponent that they gave to him that he did not succeed in elevating. Uh, he certainly had the best possible matches with the Texas Tornado, I think. Um, anyone they put him in there with. Like, this is a guy... You'd give him a jobber, and he would just make some magic with him and just, uh, you know, he'd destroy him. He'd show that vicious side. But, man, at the same time, ah, he just elevates everything he touches. And it's a damn shame that when he was probably at his best, he had to uh, really stop here. And, you know, he won't be back to the end of 92, and he'll never be exactly the same as he was before. There'll be some really good Mr. Perfect stuff still, but, man, it's just a damn shame. What about you? What are you going to miss from this guy? I think I'm going to miss the particulars. Because, mm. like, the thing that made me ask that question, I've already talked about this on a previous show. Like, when he does a chop, he does a knife-edge chop. Like, he's not hitting you with the flat of his hand. He's hitting you with the side of his hand. Mm. And I watch chops all the time. I don't take notes about which part. I don't care which part of your hand like hits the person's chest. Like there's a lot of notes to write down in a three hour show. I don't do that. But every time Mr. Perfect does his knife face chops, I, I acknowledge it because every single thing he does 
is so particular. It has a purpose. It has a reason. It has a style. Mm. And he could have been one of the great up-and-coming stars, but he's also at the same time could have been that Ricky Steamboat to other stars. Like He could have been that guy mm-hmm. who was just making people right and left. So WWF lost a lot with this guy. And so, yeah, I just missed the fact that just turn on one of his matches and every sequence he is in is a relevant sequence. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we talked about this before as well. Uh, one particular that I love is the way he feeds stuff to his opponents like there's a moment in this match where brett like flips perfect over or something and the way he just like bounces back to his feet not really steady but trying to like recover quickly he rushes in and bret hart grabs him and like flips him over into a perfect headlock and it's a beautiful sequence it's flawless it's actually perfect and you don't see a lot of guys doing stuff like this you know this is a um, it, it's, it's Arn Anderson like, but in, in kind of a more athletic way, like it's that intentionality. It's that kind of like perfectly created illusion of offense and movement that just seamlessly blends in with the other guy. And man, like you said, every movement Mr. Perfect makes is so on point. It is so intentional to get the match to a better place. Very few people are like Mr. Perfect. <laughs> Mm, well said. I think again, how this in this nuance, how it's different again from the other side of this tug of war is that yes, this is all. This is in one way, it's a gimmick, gimmicky thing. It's a, it is heel versus baby face. It is perfect trying to do certain things, Bret Hart fulfilling certain things in their roles. But at the same time, that doesn't stop them from having a sequence where. Like one of them, let's say Mr. Perfect slams Bret Hart and Bret Hart just lifts his legs and kicks Perfect off. And then Bret Hart will do the same thing to Perfect and Perfect will kick him off. So at the same time, they can be the good and the bad. They can also show we are pretty equal in our wrestling, which has nothing to do with being heel or face. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's to your point that uh, he worked this match a little differently than some of his other matches. Because, yeah, he didn't spend a whole lot of time playing the fool in this yeah. match, which is something he was good at. But uh, in this match, he really brought it like kind of blow for blow with Bret Hart. Uh, I don't know if he knew it was going to be his ma- last match for a long time. But, yeah, no, he really uh, he really killed it here. I, it's great. Somehow it adds to the match for me that Mr. Perfect's gear gets like ripped apart in this match and he can like barely wear it anymore. And it, it, it takes nothing away. It might even add something because there's like a certain um, – I don't know, like maybe a grittiness to it or something, but yeah, like his singlet gets ripped to pieces practically and he just keeps going in there and going and going and man, what a talent. Just amazing. Yeah. It's also how much these guys love Bret Hart because it's a symbolism of strip me down of everything on my way out, Mm. put perfection versus excellence and let excellence prove itself to be better, which is such a high honor on the come up. Um, if you're a challenger for the belt at this time. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fascinating to me. Um, I sometimes think about wrestling in terms of like a different kind of workplace because we see things in a certain way as fans, but I try to sometimes put myself in the mind of these wrestlers and how they interact backstage. And you never know, like, you know, things can be very different than you might expect. But yeah, it's telling to me that so many people wanted to help Bret Hart 
so much. I think it's not just like, oh, well, he was very talented. That's part of it, of course. But I do think it speaks to the professionalism, the work ethic of Bret Hart, the way he impressed people, the way he, uh, you know, I, I don't love this term, but he really paid his dues. You know, he kind of went through all the ranks like we've talked about. A lot of people wanted to help Bret Hart, and it wasn't because he got some kind of special favor. He didn't. Kind of the opposite, in fact. So it does impress me that so many people really went out of their way to help Bret Hart through his career. I think it says something about him. Yeah. I would imagine it has to do with everything you said. It has to do with the way they felt about him personally, the Mm. way they felt about him professionally. Probably some of it, some of these people have probably been in Canada. They've probably been, you know, it might have to do with how they feel about Stu, how they feel about, you know, opportunities they've had. It has to do, I think some of it probably has to do with the fact that I think WWF, for whatever reason, has always wanted Bret Hart uh, to succeed. And if you're guys like Mr. Perfect, I think like, and Roddy Piper, I put him in this. Sure. You want to see the Hulk Hogan kind of guy dethroned. And maybe you're, Vince is never going to let you do it, but maybe if all of us put our energy behind this guy, you know, we can overthrow Hulk Hogan. We can come up on the side and like tip him over the top rope when he's not looking and be done with it. <laughs> I wonder if that's part of it. That's very interesting. Uh, I think Roddy Piper definitely very invested in Bret Hart, uh, and that I think has its uh, roots in reality. We will also see that play out in a, a pretty excellent way over the course of the next year. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, uh, Bret Hart. We'll have to talk over the coming years about how much the WWF did or didn't want Bret Hart because he will be on a real roller coaster at times in that regard. But uh, it'll definitely be an interesting conversation. Yeah, we got a lot of interesting conversations to come. Uh, Piper does a good job here with it. I don't know what to me, Mr. Perfect has everything on the line, which is what Bobby Heenan says, but Piper says Bret Hart does, which I don't necessarily agree with, but the way he says it uh, is almost crying. Don't you realize the hitman has everything on the line and it's actually doing a good job because I think of the, the authentic uh, feel that he has for Bret Hart. And he's just, he's just desperately trying to make this thing big. So all the, everything, everything's in line for this to work. I think. It really is. I'll say as far as Piper goes, if he had commentated like this every night on commentary, uh, we'd be talking a lot more about him as a commentator, I think, because uh, he really does have a great night. And maybe you can't show this much emotion every night. But, God, he's very passionate in that booth. And we'll touch on that more later. And I'll say maybe he was right because Bret Hart, you know, it feels like. In some ways, it feels like he's just now up and coming, but in other ways, it feels like he's been up and coming for a long time. He's gotten a lot of big singles matches, even when he was in a tag team. He's finally really out on his own. Like, it's supposed to be his time, and if he falls here, like, what if you become an afterthought for your whole career before it even really starts? I don't know. It's a possibility, so I give some credit, maybe, to that idea. Yeah, it's a good point. He didn't articulate that, but, you know. <laughs> no, he didn't, but, you know, we can infer, perhaps. Uh, no, I, I like what you're inferring, because on top of that, but before we're done tonight, the every championship will be held by baby faces. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's, and I that's, guess if Bret Hart doesn't win, then that's not true, but at the same time, you take, well, let's just say, you know, he's not going to wrestle for the IC title again because he lost at SummerSlam. So then he's probably not wrestling for the tag titles. 
He's definitely not wrestling for the million dollar title. He's definitely, definitely not wrestling for Hogan's world title. So, you know, I think you're actually right here. And, and so is Roddy Piper. Yeah, I mean, you could go to the back of the line. You could be Texas Tornado, you know, uh, kind of being a non-factor in the opening match if you're not careful. So. And Lord knows before the match, he probably went into the dressing room and let Jim Neidhart know that he carried him and he never wants to team up with him again and he's about <laughs> to take off. And, you know, so. I mean, I might do the same. Uh, we, we watch those Heart Foundation matches. I would <laughs> distance myself as well from that if I had a chance. <laughs> Another beautiful thing about this match is that Bobby Heenan goes into full manager mode mm. for Mr. Perfect for the entirety of the match. Number one, because I think it's just instinct. Number two, Mr. Perfect no longer has a manager. Um, number three, you know, it's just Bobby Heenan. And there's a moment where Mr. Perfect's going to cheat. And he says, don't do that, Mr. Perfect. And then Gorilla Monsoon says, why? It would be a DQ. And then he says, okay, then nail him. <laughs> Oh, there's so many great commentary lines in this whole show. Yeah, no, Heenan is amazing here. Um, it's such a damn shame, and I'm sure I said this before, but Bobby Heenan retiring just prior to one of the best matches that he could have been at ringside for. You know, this match, I think, between Perfect and Brett, this match couldn't have been much better. I think the only thing that could have helped this match a little more is if you had somebody besides Coach in that manager position. If you still had Bobby Heenan there... That would have been amazing. I've talked about before. If you're going to retire anyway, God, imagine if Mr. Perfect put Bobby Heenan's manager license on the line or something in this match. Like, I feel like the reaction would have been 10 times larger even, and it was already a very over match. Like, God, I would have loved to see that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a fair statement to make. Um there's a moment where I was writing down everybody kicks out of the perfect place while Bobby Heenan was saying nobody's ever kicked out of that. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Not what are you too gonna many do? people do, you know, I don't know. They sell it how they sell it. It's a good moment. I will also say, so this matchup is going to end beautifully where Mr. Perfect's kind of getting a little bit lazy in there, which, you know, you don't always say, but maybe he's tired, maybe he's hurt. So he just kind of lifts Bret Hart's legs and just slowly drops a leg between Except Bret Hart catches that leg and he folds those legs over and he turns it over into the sharpshooter. Mm. So that is that's an, another we should we need to be keeping tally of some of these Bret Hart finishes. <laughs> yes, and this time into the submission instead of the roll up, which I thought was nice. He actually gets that one with the sharpshooter, which is not as common as you might think. Uh, but yeah, the way he segues into it is really beautiful, and uh, it's another testament to folks who who praise Bret Hart. As one of the best, you know, I don't know if I feel him as the best, but God, he has some beautiful finishes and they are unique to him. So, you know, he is the guy kind of driving a lot of these. I don't want to cast a shadow on this beautiful match and that beautiful finish, but I would also ask people to go back and rewatch it because maybe I'm wrong. But it, it feels a little bit like Earl Hebner called the submission before it was even fully locked in and before Mr. Perfect gave up. <laughs> And I'd hate to think Mr. that Earl Hebner would do something like that in a sharpshooter, but just you know, watch it for yourself, folks. I'm sure he would never ever do something <laughs> like that. He has, he's the good twin, you know. He has integrity, yeah. so. <laughs> and Bret Hart probably would say something about it if, like, you know, Mr. Perfect didn't give up, right? He'd probably be outraged. <laughs> he probably would. We will. Um, oh boy! All right, I'm not gonna get ahead of myself with Bret Hart, <laughs> but man, there's a. Uh, as we said, there's some interesting conversations coming. I really do feel like there was a moment where Earl Hebner had run off to call it and Mr. Perfect was shaking his head no, but I might have imagined the whole thing. I don't know. 
it's uh the the submission call definitely comes very quickly so we will let audience decide for themselves if that is true or not any excuse to rewatch this match is a good one yes so then lord alfred hayes is in the crowd he's going to talk to uh Stu and helen hart there's a little bit of confusion uh bret hart's going to run in he's going to join his family he's going to hug mom and dad uh and then Stu's gonna try to talk, and I don't, Earl Hebner's gonna, or Lord Alfred Hayes is gonna remove the microphone and say, "There you have it. He's a little bit speechless." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stu Hart. Um, I have no idea what is going on with him at times. I believe he had some issues with dementia, kind of like going forward. I don't know if that started already. He certainly always kind of looks out of it when he's in the crowd for these things. I don't know if that's just how he looks. If he's having these problems. I don't know why they stuck the mic in front of his face if they weren't going to let him talk, but, you know, it's fine. You know, it is what it is. Five years from now, he uh, Bret Hart's going to show up an hour late to the video that they're making for WrestleMania 12 with Shawn Michaels, and Jim Ross is going to be at the house, and Stu's going to be trying to learn down, down so he can stretch him while they're waiting for Bret Hart, just for the record. Jesus Christ, <laughs> man. I, Stu Hart's a piece of work. I, I don't know if I want to get into all that, yeah. but um, there's some stuff going on there that uh, I'm just saying. I, I think he's got more capacity right now than uh, we're giving him credit for. I think he's just some of this is just Stu Hart or Stu, yeah, Stu Hart. Could just Stu be in Stu, or maybe that was the last thing to go. I wouldn't put it past them. So, jeez, all right, okay, that's an interesting. Okay, story so something I've never heard of in my life: uh, Hulk Hogan, a real American story on pay per view. <laughs> Oh, my God, yeah, they're really going to be pushing this hard. Um, just, like, old matches, I guess, and kind of like a little weird documentary or something for Hulk Hogan. They're, they're going to push it hard. It's the hot ticket, apparently. And, um, man, this is definitely the golden goose straining to uh, kind of push out a few more eggs, but they're yeah. not coming out so shiny anymore. Nah, this is get your money and get out of here, I think, is where we're at now. Yep. I, I would invite our listeners, uh, if anyone wants to do the work, someone please find out the buy rate on Hulk Hogan, the real American story on pay-per-view. <laughs> oh, my God. I think they meant Coliseum Home Video, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, so speaking of things that are not exactly how they used to be, Mean Gene Oakland is in the back, and he is with the Bushwhackers, who are being managed by Andre the Giant. Yeah, so, remember when I said there's a couple of things that would change on this card to make it an all-timer? Well, here we are. We've got the Bushwhackers, and poor Andre has to be with them in one of his last appearances. So, uh, I, I praise WWE for keeping Andre involved. We would see a clip of him uh, kind of getting a little physically involved because uh, he will be turning down Jimmy Hart. And I'm gratified because I knew he turned down Jimmy Hart in some segment. I couldn't remember what it was. And this is the reason because it kind of turned into something like this. Uh, But I was right. Unfortunately, it involves Earthquake kind of uh, hitting Andre in the leg and then should have hit him in the head, I guess, because for some reason he teams up with the Bushwhackers. And that's the only explanation I can think of. Yeah, I, maybe we're just supposed to view the Bushwhackers differently, and then it's all supposed to make sense. But when you have Andre the Giant uh, standing behind the Bushwhackers, you are burying the lead in the worst ways possible. Where are, I was thinking about this. Where are the Rockers on this show? Why, why are we suffering through the Bushwhackers when we could have had Andre and Shawn Michaels allied in the same little pocket? So I don't know. That's uh, 
<sighs> it's just a shame anytime you have to see the Bushwhackers, and especially if you're wasting one of Andre's last appearances on him. Yeah, when they're finished licking and eating the natural disasters, they're going to turn them, turn them over to Andre. <laughs> God. That's a direct quote. And this I wouldn't is what, want him. Jesus. Yeah. You know, like, what are we doing here? And this is Andre. Like you said, I props to WWF. They deserve 100% props. Just uh, you keep Andre around in any way because he deserves it and because the fans, you know, I think the fans want to see him just to see him. Yeah. But, man, you, you any other choice, any other one would be better than this. He could have come out with any other baby face on this card and it would have yeah. been better. Like, ugh. I wouldn't mind seeing him with Ricky Steamboat and uh, Texas Tornado. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would've been fun. You could have been out there with Big Boss Man to, uh, yeah. you know, stand with him. Could have come out with uh, anybody. Anybody could have come out with Greg Valentine for his weird little yeah. I- IRS match. Anybody. Jeez. That would be fun if IRS was trying to audit Andre the Giant. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see it. Oh my gosh, it'd be good stuff. You know that Andre is probably not that that particular with his uh you know not the cast any you know but but anyway but I was just I, I book me IRS and Andre the Giant no sure I'd sure. I'd take it I'd be glad to see it I love when Andre's offended and I thought he would just be so deeply offended at the idea that he's not paying his taxes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no, it would have been real good and. You got to assume they were hoping to still do something with Andre. You know, I I think I mentioned before he was advertised for a Royal Rumble at one point. I don't know if they want to do him and Earthquake. I don't know why, because it sure doesn't feel like Earthquake's worth a damn anymore. Like he used to fight Hulk Hogan and now now he had Typhoon can't handle the Bushwhackers, I guess. So I don't know. Like, what's the point? But that that seems to be in the cards somewhere. (laughs) I think it shows a limited imagination with Vince McMahon because you got an Andre the Giant who's at the end of his career and the only thing you can think is like they're both great and big. They're you know, put them together. Like Big John Studd should have taught us a lesson a long time ago. You know. <laughs> we don't have to put him against the biggest guys, especially on this part of his career. Especially when the fact is he probably isn't paying his taxes. <laughs> <laughs> a great point. Nobody can dispute that. <laughs> And this is stupidity of this, because even if you're putting him against Earthquake, right now the Bushwhackers not only are going to wrestle in natural disasters, but like all Bushwhackers, the, the Bushwhackers will treat them like jobbers in parts of the matches because that's the yep. Bushwhacker offense. So then you don't even have Andre against Earthquake. You know, I guess he's there to offset Jimmy Hart. <laughs> you definitely need Andre for that, I guess. So, yeah. I'm, all right, well, I'm trying to avoid what's coming next, but... <laughs> I don't even know what there is to say about it. So um. it's bushwhackers and natural disasters. These are teams you're going to see on a lot of a lot of pay per views, I think, to come. So um, Bobby Heenan says at the beginning, I don't trust Andre. <laughs> <laughs> well, after what they've been through, you know, it's it's sad to see their relationship go so sour. But you know, it happens sometimes to the best of us. So. Uh, Heenan's the lucky one in this because he will leave partway through the match uh, to go confront Hulk Hogan with the uh, real world's championship, which uh, certainly is something I would have done if I had the option and I was watching this match. So I get it. Very smart. And it's also intriguing because now we're getting into some of that ongoing storyline where a guy can't just sit in the booth. He's got to go uh, confront Hulk Hogan. And clearly they're beginning to build towards WrestleMania 8's main event. So 
we got to talk a lot, and not tonight, but in the coming weeks, about the failure of No Hogan and Flair. And I don't think it falls on Ric Flair. I think Ric Flair, especially in the early run, is pushed high and hard and heavy and however you want to say it. I think the fact that WWF has been failing with some of his stuff is done. Hulk Hogan's been failing. I think it's honestly the WWF and Hulk Hogan that can't rise to this occasion. I think that is true, and I think uh, more so than even Hogan. And we talked about how he's phoning it any times here, but really, I got to put a lot of it just on the WWF, I think, because uh, it's such a bizarre situation because they run out of some house shows, and then they're like, oh, well, it didn't draw well enough. But you can't tell me did Hogan and Sid draw so amazingly well, yeah, you know, like it's it's baloney, you know, it makes no sense, I think. So clearly, I don't know, it seems like there was some resistance to doing this match from the start. And it makes no sense as well, because they'll do it in 1994 and it will be so successful. It'll be like the most successful thing of that year by a long stretch. So I don't know. It, it never really made any sense to me that they didn't do it. It definitely feels like some people in the company, we won't say who, we all know who, just didn't really want to do it in the first place. So this is what we're going to get. Yeah. If this happened in WCW, it would still be the most controversial thing in 2021. <laughs> yes, there would be no end of conversation about how they failed to capitalize on Hogan yeah. versus Flair. So that's a very good point. And I'm not necessarily crazy about seeing it. I'm looking forward to Savage and Flair, but we're going to talk reality and you know, in my mind, I was thinking on this show when Bobby Heenan is running around talking about Ric Flair and the WWF, WCW should have shut down and <laughs> WWF should have maybe entered the most popular time in this whole era that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. And neither of those things will happen. And we won't even get Hogan and Flair. So somebody did something wrong somewhere and we're not just going to act like it didn't happen. And like you said, Oh, well they, they had a house show and it didn't sell out. So the fans weren't into it. Give me a break. Give me a break. Yeah. Never sat. Well, uh, if I have anything to say about it, we will uh, be able to judge for ourselves to a certain extent because, uh, that Hogan flair match exists out there. I've seen it before. So I think that will be a must see bonus material. And we can maybe decide for ourselves what it looks like when we get to it. And Absolutely. Right now, the Bushwhackers are, are grabbing uh, Typhoon and Earthquake by the head and running them around the ring like it's nothing. Man, somebody put the Bushwhacker versus LOD because I don't know who I would put my money on. <laughs> Bushwhackers seem to have the uh, ability to kind of uh, drag down anyone they go against. So they're the anti-Mr. Perfect after that great match we just saw. This match is so horrible. It's just so bad. It's a stain on the whole year, on the whole pay-per-view. You can't say that it's an all-time great pay-per-view because it's got such a horrible match on it. It's just, it's the worst. Yeah, and then to be more insulting, there's the whole match where the Bushwhackers can at least 50% of the time run them around like it's nothing, and then it's like, oh, Earthquake has decided to do the Earthquake drop, and this could be jobbers, but, you know, so don't be not deceived. Uh, so Earthquake and the Natural Disasters are going to get the win. And then uh, LOD is going to come out. So I have no idea what Andre is supposed to be doing down there. Just standing there, which is probably about all he could do. Poor guy, you know, on his crutches and uh, just not too healthy, unfortunately. So, yeah, they brought him down. And like you said, I don't really know what's the point of it, except, like you said, to see Andre, which is worth doing. 
But yeah, no, he he was able to really do nothing in this match, unfortunately. Yeah, much better than the matches, Bobby Heenan. Come on, dummy, I don't have all day as he pushes uh, the cameraman quickly, power walking his way to Hulk Hogan's dressing room to put Hulk Hogan in his place. On behalf of the real world's champion, that door quickly is slammed in his face, and he says, you wouldn't do that if Ric Flair was here. Oh, man, this is a great little segment because I'm sure Hulk Hogan wasn't even there. You never see him. Yeah. Like, they just did this kind of of their own volition. Um, but it's great. It doesn't need Hogan there doing some dumb promo. Uh, it's probably better that he's not there. I love it because, yeah, Heenan goes, and he, like, he gets the door open, and he's doing his thing. And in mid-sentence, the door not only slams, but it, like, knocks the title out of yeah. his hands and on the floor. And I guess maybe that was a sign of what they thought of that title. But, honestly... Like it works for the seg- for the segment for the storyline. Like it's a very fun little segment here. I wonder if they just feared that twenty percent of the fans were going to cheer Ric Flair. Maybe I don't know. It could easily happen. Because, like you said, it's odd that we're even getting this whole angle with the world, the real world's title. But somewhere we have got to establish that it's not a real world's title, and that <laughs> you know, Hulk Ric Flair is not Hulk Hogan. And I don't know. Hulk Hogan has admitted that injuries, time, other things he cared about, that he was not his best, and this is so clear. So you got a lazy Hulk Hogan and a lazy WWF, and you know I think Ric Flair was going to take him for what, what for all that he's worth if he was if he if he can't came in there half minded about the affair. Yeah, I, we're going to watch what Ric Flair does, but I don't think you can say that he was half assed about any of it. I don't think you'd say Bobby Heenan is uh, half-assed about any of this. So, yeah, they're holding up their end. Somebody else is not, and we are going to try to put that blame where it deserves to go as we go forward. We have fans cheering The Undertaker. We have fans decidedly cheering Sid over Hulk Hogan. So it might partly be like, what do you do if you go to WrestleMania and over half the crowd is for Ric Flair? (laughs) You push Ric Flair! Damn it! (laughs) I never understood this. It's like, oh, the fans like somebody too much. Good! That'd yeah. be great if they liked somebody as much as they liked that guy. Ugh. Like, why is it a problem? Like, just lean into it. Figure it out. That's the best kind of problem you can have. So, I don't know. It's silly. Yes. I will also say, while Hulk Hogan is clearly on the decline, Randy Savage is having another resurgence. Uh, he is doing the 900 number. He is talking to fans about his wedding with Liz, and he is going to go from the pleasantries of the wedding to getting paranoid about the fan asking two personal questions about himself and Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, Savage is great here. I have no idea if he was even talking to another person or not, but he really, um, <laughs> uh, what did he so say? Good. Like, Oh, well, I think you shouldn't be so direct with your questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did that, what did that guy ask? Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, I also, I got to praise a little thing here uh, before, Savage will change it to kind of his wedding gear later, but here he's sitting back with the tie-dye, the bandana, like it could be 1986 again mm-hmm. for a minute, and I kind of forgot how much I liked that look, so that was a nice little moment for me. Yeah, and that is, I think, the wild card is we have this whole conversation about, well, should it be Hulk Hogan or should it be Bret Hart? Well, Randy Savage is there too, folks. Yep, sure. We we have fantasized before about Randy Savage uh, staying in that Main event spotlight till 1997 or be or, or around there. So yeah. <sighs> he, he's making a case for it. He is. He really is. He's also debuting, as you said, the hotline, which will become 
a hot commodity over uh, the next several years in professional wrestling. We'll see Gene Okerlund associate with that hotline for the first time later in the show. Yeah, so definitely have some on. notes on that because <laughs> leave it to Gene Okerlund to do what he's going to do later on in the show. <laughs> oh, looking forward to it. So we go to Sean Mooney, who is with the million-dollar champion Ted DiBiase and Sensational Sherry. Oh, absolutely. And we praise Sherry and Savage. I think that's the pinnacle. But, man, I really enjoy Ted and Sherry as well. They have a great little uh, scene here. DiBiase promises he's going to leave Virgil face down in the gutter, and it's a city full of gutters so he can take his pick. It's a great promo. I love that. That is a marvelous quote. I got that one too down. That is so good. And it's so real. And again, it's pulling from something he likely said before. And now you think about New York, you think about Madison Square Garden, you think about all the potential gutters. And that's what Ted DiBiase, if you don't win this matchup, it will end with you being in the limo, the door opening, you getting kicked out face down in the gutter. That's what is going to happen. So, you know, We've had our DQs. We've had other things. But eventually, it is put up or shut up for these men. Like, somebody has to win this matchup. And now we got the million-dollar title on the line like an actual championship. So this is big fight feel. This is Ted DiBiase delivering. This is a feud that has been going on for a while, continuing to pay off. Yeah, man. They started this uh, conflict, teasing it in 1990, if not earlier. So we are... Far beyond, they split at the Royal Rumble. They fought at WrestleMania. It was a count-out victory, which is not the kind of victory you want to get if you want to end the feud. Right here, this is the match. Man, I love this match. This match is a shining beacon, I think, on this show, in this year, just in general. Everything about this match speaks to me so much. And maybe most of all, surprisingly perhaps, Roddy Piper has the commentary performance of his life in this match. He is approaching Bobby Heenan at the 1992 Rumble levels for me. He is living and dying with everything Virgil does in this match. He is speaking back to Ted DiBiase, who speaks to him at times or makes comments in the ring. It's an incredible showing in commentary for Roddy Piper, and the match benefits because it, and it was already a great match. Yeah, Roddy Piper gets what it's about. He's been part of it. This is uh, Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect, turned up by 10 storyline-wise as far as it's now or never. If if everything was on the line for Bret Hart, what is on the line for Virgil? Yeah, it feels like um, his his life is on the line. Not like he's going to die, but just like his, his um, value as a person. Like he's done all this work to stand up for himself, to say, I'm better than the way you treat me. But man, if he loses this match after all of it, like, is it even true? You know, he'll lose everything he worked for. It really feels like. And what does Ted DiBiase lose if he loses? It feels like both of these guys have their souls on the line in this match. Yeah, and they come out like it. Virgil comes out hitting a lot of energy. And you can feel the frustration in Ted DiBiase, who's getting bumped around, bounced around. Eventually, it's turned around. DiBiase throws Virgil into the steps. And I would just ask people to watch this part because he, he hits the steps. He falls right by the guardrail. And a little kid with LOD face paint reaches down and puts his hand inside of Virgil's hand. Oh. And that, if you want to know what this kind of story and this kind of 
belief and this kind of moment feels like watch that little kid just reach out and put his hand in Virgil's hand and you get kind of what you can do with this stuff and what they are doing with this. And this is Virgil's opportunity and people are literally linked with him as he challenges uh, Ted DiBiase. I feel like that kid was representing the whole audience in that moment because, man, the crowd is so hot for this match. This might be the match they are hottest for on the entire card. You know, yeah. I think they're hotter for this than the main event from anything that they watch. And it, it's it's so well-earned. They put so much storyline work into this. It's an incredible crowd reaction, and it, it, it warms my heart to see it. Yeah. And everything that you just said leading up to a disqualification and a desperate, frustrated Roddy Piper, not a DQ, please. And it looks like it's over. Like this is if if you take your WWF the Legacy Series history, there's nothing there's no shame in the DQ ending a match. Like nobody's got a problem with that. But on this night, there is too much power, there is too much momentum, there is too much hope, there is too much desire, there is too much force, and the referee just gets out of pocket, I think, in in the best way possible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Sherry interferes blatantly, should be causing a DQ by all rights. Roddy Piper is begging like his life depends on it, that the match continue, the crowd is begging for the match to continue. And yes, we get a moment where the ref, he's really bending outside the rules here, but he lets the match continue. He sends Sherry to the back to an amazing reaction. You know, this, 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 this match is not like other matches. If it had ended on that DQ, it wouldn't have been right. And I really got to praise because it is so easy to mess up one of these like kind of match restarts moments. But they do it so perfectly here. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. You gotta watch yeah. it. It is. It alleviates so much tension. It elevates the second half of the match. My only note right there was only Lex Luger could lose this now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Lex Luger. Oh my gosh. Um, the, it's such momentum. It's such a SummerSlam thing too. And the, I, when did they wrestle that WrestleMania? Is that correct? Uh, Virgil and DiBiase, yes, at WrestleMania earlier this year. How did the match end? Count out. So, yeah, see, so that's another reason that I'm okay with this. Like, you can't have him running around every pay-per-view all year not finishing matches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't mind a lot of these non-finishes, but, man, sometimes you need a real finish, and this was exactly the time it was needed. And, oh, man, I just – it's incredible to me because sometimes – I, I, I shouldn't even look at these comments, but, you know, I will see people talking about matches of the past, and sometimes I see people who are like, well, this match wasn't that good because Virgil wasn't that good a wrestler, and I'm like, God, like, you are missing the point of professional wrestling, I feel, like, if that is your opinion after watching this match, if you can't feel the energy, the story, the way the crowd is invested, you would think, like, Mick Foley or Steve Austin was out there instead of Virgil, for how big the crowd is reacting to this. If you can't connect to the energy of this match, then my friend, you are a very different kind of wrestling fan than I am. Cause this, this is purely some beautiful stuff in here. Well said, sir. I would like this matchup a lot less. If Virgil was a better wrestler, if Virgil came out and wrestled and it turned out he was Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> so you have been a bodyguard 
shaming yourself for years in order to have employment to take care of your family when you're Ricky Steamboat in the ring. Like there's something about the fact that he's not a wrestler. He's doing whatever it takes to get by. And that's why he joins up with Roddy Piper. That's why he's got to be scrappy. That's why he brings in the boxing. That's why he's the underdog. That's why there's such a real chance that no matter how much you want to cheer for him and the right thing is for Virgil to win, he's probably going to lose to Ted DiBiase. All the story, all the energy, just like you said, everything is wrapped up in the fact that you had someone who had no other option but to stand up for himself, to stand up for what is right, and to wrestle even though he's not technically a wrestler. I don't know. How, I don't know how else to say it. You know, it's amazing. Like this match, this whole story is good enough. Like it, it could have been a movie or something. And it's just like. I don't know, people like this, I guess they watch Rocky and they wanted him to come in and actually, oh, he was actually not an underdog the whole time, you know, he's actually the best boxer in the world from the start, so, you know, like, it's just, it's unbelievable to me that you could think of it that way, you're so right, like, the story demands the underdog, it demands a guy who on paper is not a matchup for Ted DiBiase, and yet, on this night, on this very special night, he can he can pull it together. He can get that victory. He's got heart for days. And, man, he just does a wonderful job. This Virgil, Ted DiBiase is the perfect villain. This is picturesque. This is cinematic in a way of feeling, not in a way of execution. And it is just wonderful stuff. Yeah. So we get to sit down interview with Jim Ross after his Ricky Steamboat performance. And he's like, yeah, I always knew I could wrestle. I just like cleaning between toes. <laughs> You know, that, that, there's your payoff. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. You talk to Rocky Balboa, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I'm a top-level boxer. I could have gone to the gym, but I just wanted to box the frozen meat and, yes. you know, all this stuff. Yes. So you Come need on. that struggle, for God's sakes. That's what makes it a good story. So, yeah. all right, good stuff. And that's why I love the boxing element, too, though, because yeah. he's got to bring something unorthodox. And the weird thing is, if he was a great wrestler – well, Ted DiBiase's found a way to get past him for however long he's been the million dollar champion. Right. So it's also partly that he's coming so far out of left field that is going to get him the victory. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen DiBiase beat Bret Hart. We've seen him beat uh, all sorts of great wrestlers. So you can't just say, oh, well, he just had great wrestling ability. So I don't know. I understand Virgil. You know, he's limited in some ways. He could be more adept in the ring if you want him to be. But, man, it so does not matter on this night. This is exactly what it needs to be. Yeah, and the great Bobby Heenan, because the steel post will be exposed by Ted DiBiase, mm. but it will be used by Virgil, and Virgil will barely just crawl over, pin Ted DiBiase, become mm. the million-dollar champion in a moment that is just, Ms. Fan said it's probably the high moment of the night. Mm. And I love all of it. I'm not taking away from it. Soak in it, enjoy it, play it up. But the great Bobby Heenan will then say, Virgil never beat the man. The ring beat the man. <laughs> you know, it's the talent of Bobby Heenan that he can say these lines. It doesn't take away anything no. from what you've seen. Just the, the way he executes uh, his delivery is perfect. But I'll It just say, continues the storyline. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. But I'll say the one thing 
the commentary line that I have always remembered from this match, it gives me chills even now to think back on it. When Ted is closing in on the victory, it looks like he's absolutely going to win. It's like the, the, the all is lost moment from any great story. And Teddy Biasi, he looks over at the commentary booth and he says, like, this is for you, Piper. And Roddy Piper, his voice almost breaking with emotion, with desperation, with hope. He says, it's not for me. It's not for me mm. because he is so invested. It, this is for Virgil. This is not about Piper. This is not about anybody else. This is about one guy who was abused. He was kicked around. He was treated badly. And on this one night, he's going to stand up on his feet and he's going to show that you can overcome these things that have happened to you. And it means so much for Piper that he's crying out on commentary. He's not even doing commentary. He's just crying out from his heart. It sounds like he says, it's not for me because he knows what it's about. It's a beautiful match. It's a beautiful moment. That is so powerful because you know, this, this is a feud that carries the history of racism. It carries the fact you know, that this is a white man with a bodyguard who's African-American, you know, you need Roddy Piper in the beginning of the feud because Virgil has his limitations and Roddy Piper has this kind of streaked credibility. He has these things he's gone through, but if it's still about Roddy Piper in the announce booth, when Virgil is winning this belt, then we have done everything wrong. This has to be about Virgil and for Roddy Piper to verbally express that, I think is so important. I think that this is a high mark to me in some of these stories. We've had a lot of great stories, but a lot of them belong to the eighties. This one started in the eighties. It's still going in 1991. And I think what Virgil does is just beautiful on so many levels. I, again, like I said, I don't think he needs to be the perfect wrestler. I think what this ha- how this happens is perfect. It's Virgil standing by himself. It's Virgil standing apart from Roddy Piper from Ted DiBiase. And at the end of the night, the bodyguard Virgil is the million dollar champion in the WWF. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much perfect. I would recommend this to anybody watch it with your heart. Don't watch it with like your scientific eye, but man, everyone does a perfect job here at Ted DiBiase is amazing. Virgil, Virgil does an amazing job as well, I think. I could not criticize one thing about his performance, I think. I got to give him huge credit. Everyone in the booth, Sherry, even the referee, the crowd, everyone. It's just, it's picture perfect. It's one of the most satisfying story beats that I think you will ever see in maybe in all of wrestling. It is just beautifully done. It is. In a night that we don't actually have a main event, it feels (laughs) like this matchup, along with those who really probably wanted to see Liz and Savage get married. Like these people are pulling the weight for Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior right now. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. They are are not pulling their own weight. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on here. (laughs) And as Ms. Van said, I will just reiterate, watch this stuff with your heart. All of us have the ability to pick everything apart, man, but just, just watch it with your heart and enjoy it because it is a special moment, you know, in a storytelling point of view. Absolutely. Man, that's the most fun way to watch anything, I think, yeah. if you can. So so bear it in mind. You also can make mistakes, though, if you get too uh, directed by your heart. You might be standing in the back in a jailhouse matchup as a Mountie with the three cops who will decide the fate of the loser. And you might be so passionate that you think that you can't lose. You might call them 
little local hick cops and you might tell them what to do when the big boss and you might suggest they abuse the loser at the end of it and you know it might not occur to you Mountie that more than likely you're gonna lose this match <laughs> I don't think that occurred to him one time uh, the hubris of the Mountie in this this man this might be Jacques Rougeau's finest hour in, through all of this because I love the storyline. I love the way, like, he throws himself into this, like, a thousand and ten percent. And yes, everything in this promo, he, he, oh, you should, after the match, arrest him, but do it the Mountie way. You have to drag him around and cuff his ankles, throw away the key, do all this stuff. And man, he, he is digging his own grave with every word, and he has no idea because he is just so confident that he is going to win. And it is just a perfect picture of hubris. This is great stuff as well. I am so glad you said that because my next statement was going to be we need to pause the storyline and we need to pay respect to Jacques Rougeau because oh, yeah. twice I have forgot that he is the Mountie number one because it's a whole different body type and a whole different look. Yep. And he's going to do a flying, spinning back elbow. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's Jacques, that's Jacques Rougeau. So, <laughs> you know. He was so good in the tag team. Like, I, I didn't like that tag team. Like, it's a stupid gimmick that didn't really get over. But every time he was wrestling, I was like, oh, he's really good. Now he's the Mountie, and it's a better gimmick because it works with the boss man. But once in a while, it's still a little irritating, and it actually limits him, like, in some of his shorter matches. But every single time, like, that he does anything on purpose, in the ring or out of the ring, it is inspired. Everything that he's going to do tonight is inspired. And you would think you would think that he is winning for the effort that he puts in. Like you would not think that more than likely this is the height of it for him because he will put in the whole night like like this is his day to get over. Mm. Yeah, yeah. This is the amazing thing. Um, I think uh, not unique to this era, but you see it a lot in this era. Is there's a lot of emphasis on whether you're winning or you're losing you understand that you're going out there to get over you're going Mm -hmm. out there to make the whole show look good not just make yourself look good and man he is a hundred and like i said he's a thousand and ten percent dedicated to getting this over as far as possible to being over the top to being uh setting himself up you know to kind of be the fool and that's that's such a great thing that a heel can do yeah if, if i'm watching this as vince mcmahon like I see a guy, and I think that's the kind of guy I want to be on my roster for a long time to come. Yeah, yeah. You know, not everybody's going to behave like this. Not everybody's going to perform like this, and not everybody's going to commit like this. And he does. Boss man is just as good on the other side. He says that the Mountie needs to kind of get out of that headspace. He needs to pray to God that he even makes it to the morning uh, once he's thrown in jail. So, um I don't know where Mountie got off thinking he was going to win this matchup. My money would have safely uh, been with the big boss man on this one. <laughs> I got to assume that the Mountie uh, did not see this promo with big boss man. Cause he is so intense and I can't like we praise Jack and we should praise Jack cause he's so great. But big boss man, Oh my God. When he says, instead of talking to cops, you should be on your knees praying to God. I'm like, yeah. you know, uh, at that point, I am like trying to get out of this match and I'm not even in it. Like I could not face the big boss man when he's fired up. No, I don't know if anybody could. 
I lost like three days of my life because I spent like 72 hours on the Internet. Like, when did the Mountie insult Big Boss Man's mom? And I couldn't find it. But, I mean, it must have happened for him to be talking like that, right? Well, he's hung around with uh, Hulk Hogan a few times, so I think now he knows how to manufacture those insults in his mind so he can be motivated. So Yeah, that's called a slow payoff because when he left uh, Slick, he supposedly did the right thing, but there wasn't a lot of payoff for him. They just kind of mocked him and beat him up and did stuff to him. But I think he has finally, finally found those benefits that come with the babyface privilege and it's that you always get to be offended and you and if if the mounties offended and playing it up you get to play it up double because it's always double the offense no matter what the situation <laughs> absolutely so oh my god this is what a one-two punch because this is a great match as well it's a great storyline I had a tremendously good time with this, and not just the match, everything that's going to come after it, I think is another highlight of the night. When I look at this card, I often look at, oh, perfect Bret Hart, DiBiase Virgil, Bossman Mountie, oh man, all this great stuff, this must be an all-time great SummerSlam, and then I see Bushwhackers, and I see the main event match, and I see all this stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's not, it's not quite there. But man, the stuff that's good is so good at this time. I really gotta praise it. Yeah, and it is good in the way that only WWF at certain times could be good. Mm. Like feel- you could hate the Mounty Bossman match as easily as you could like it. Like it sits on that thin line. Where it takes being a certain era, certain workers, certain company, certain thing, you know. So uh, there's, there's a lot of times that I'm going to that I am going to um, be disappointed in WWF because they're going to be what they are at their core, and I don't like that. But then there are some parts of that core that when they are those things at their core, they have a certain color, a certain spark, a certain atmosphere, a certain presentation that you just don't get anywhere else. Absolutely so. I mean, it's been true through all of history, I think, or through a lot of it, is when they're good, they're good, and when they're bad, they're bad. And, man, I just, right now, at SummerSlam 1991, it feels like about 70% of this company is existing in that world where we never had Zeus and we never had kind of like the downturn. And, like, if things had just kept going, they would have been like this all the time. But then we got 30% that really reminds us, oh, no, wait, we're definitely in that world still. So, God, the good stuff is so good, though. I really got to praise it. Yeah. As an NWA WCW guy, if I didn't really know much about the WWF and someone said, hey, you want to watch this show? There's a jailhouse match and a casket match. And one guy's an undertaker and one guy's a false man. And one guy puts people in caskets and one guy puts people in jail. I would be like, well, you know, I have to go outside and play WCW wrestling. (laughs) So I can't actually do that. But, man, when you watch it during this time, the way it's the creative, the way it's inspired the people doing it. Like, I don't know how you can do anything except love this stuff. The strangest thing in the world would be, and maybe it would be possible if someone's a big Undertaker fan and they're not as big a Boston fan, but I can't imagine somebody being like, I love the Undertaker and the casket matches, but I don't like that Bossman and the jailhouse matches. Like, there needs to be more conversation about whatever it is that Bossman and Undertaker were in this world at this time, because even the WWF which is the only company really set up to create this kind of stuff like this. Like they're going to do this a lot and people are going to leave after six weeks or six months, you know, with gimmicks like this. Yeah. So what in the world is going on right now? 
with The Undertaker and Bossman. What is happening in 1991, Miz? It's hard to say. I think part of it, you just have the strength of these performers. You know, we know, of course, uh, Ray Trailer, incredibly talented, and uh, Mark Calloway is going to carry that talent far, far into the future. But uh, part of it as well is just some gimmicks work better than others. You know, this is not a Red Rooster situation. This is not uh, a lot of these kind of failed gimmicks that will come and go. Nobody's a garbage man. Nobody's something stupid. These are like iconic roles. These are, um, you know, archetypes almost like the lawman, the, 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 the grim reaper, you know, you bring these concepts to life and they're so recognizable and they're colorful and they're actually well executed. Like, I, I don't know. To me, it's just great. And it's the same thing with like Teddy Biasi. Like he's the rich guy. You just get these recognizable, uh, roles and you expand them into these colorful characters. And yeah, I mean, it almost seems obvious that it's going to work. But then you look at the failures and you're like, well, not always it's going to work. But yeah, I don't know. It just comes off really well. And uh, the good parts of this era are just about as good as anything that you could find. Yeah, I do think that something that you said. If you can take something that's an archetype and is so universal and personalize it as and, and it's, it's just as personal and specific as it is big and universal at the same time. Mm. And I feel like that's what they're doing right now with Paul Bear, with Undertaker, with Bossman. You know, it's just, it fills both of those voids. It is the universal, it is the either the fear of law enforcement or the opposite of that, the fear of death or the opposite of that. It evokes and evokes and evokes at a big level. But then at a personal level, these are not someone else could have Undertaker or law enforcement officer in a movie. But that's not the Undertaker from the WWF. That's not Big Boss Man from the WWF. It's the opposite of what WWF does so often because they want to be like the movie or they want to be in the movie or they want to bring in the movie actor. But here they have the roles that are as big and as effective as a movie, but that are as personalized and specific and belong to the WWF universe. Yeah, it's great because you have to make it work within the world of wrestling, but you just look at the gimmicks at work and don't look, and you're like, they make TV shows and movies about cops. They make them about like kind of these dark figures like The Undertaker is. They do all this stuff. Nobody makes a TV show about a red rooster, or a garbage man or some stupid thing, you know, or about a barber, uh, you know, so it's just like some roles just work and some don't. And, you know, it, it's it's weird. Some of the things they tried that didn't work, but you look at the stuff that did work. And I really think you got to say, like, they took something that is recognizable on a, a almost subconscious level. And mm. then, like you said, they personalized it and then they gave it to the right person and get, when you put all that together, it really just works beautifully. Yeah, man, I agree a million percent. I don't know if this is a uh, Jim Cornette story or a Bruce Pritchard story. I think I've told it on the show before. But when Ray Trailer was working in the NWA, you know, they parked their car. There's like journalists or fans or somebody out there. And like he's just got this mean mugging grimace on his face. Like, come on, we got to get in the building. And he's moving people into the building. And then the minute they shut the door, he just starts screaming at the top of his lungs because he slammed his hand in the door. Oh. 
but he, he no sold it for the entire time that other people were out there because he was the big bodyguard until he got in and shut that door. That is incredible. I never heard that story. Poor guy. Yeah. I feel bad for him, but good for but, him though. He he stuck with it. But I mean, because you, you added that third part, which is so give it to the right guys, yeah. or give it to the right folks, because. You take away Paul Bearer, take away The Undertaker, take away Bossman, the people in those roles. It's just it's everything coming together, man. Again, we, we talked about Mountie. Like, how happy would you be to have Big Bossman on your roster as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, you, I've been doing cartwheels by Big Bossman on my roster. <laughs> you know, this, yeah. is, this guy's as hot as anybody out there right now. This is another match which is just incredibly over. Like, the crowd is so into this. Um, and they should be, because once again, it's like a, a, a fun story. It's uh, not so like life or death impactful as the last one, but like you feel there's something on the line. I don't think anybody is thinking like, oh, this is silly or anything, because they're putting it over so well. You just want to see what happens. Like it's just fun. It's good stuff. Yeah, I said Bossman is bouncing around the ring before the match, like he's about to take on Vader. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Oh man, so we're getting the prime of this man's career right now mm-hmm. in many ways. But you know, we did WCW the Legacy Series first, and I would just suggest if those things are still out there and people, you know, just man, we had Bossman Invader, and like Bossman doesn't even know who he is. He's got to change his gimmick every three weeks because they're either infringing on something or they're not sure what they're doing. Mm. And those men made magic. Yeah. And now, here we are. We've gone back in time to this man's gimmick prime, and we're getting to watch him do his thing. Like, how fortunate are we to do this show? Oh, we're so lucky. Um. Oh, we're lucky to be doing this to have people who uh, who listen and who comment along, and uh, yeah, this is just a big highlight um, for yourself and for myself at this time. Like, it's just great stuff. This is it's done a lot for me because mm. a lot of Bossman that I remembered was a half jobber on WCW Saturday Night in the last mm. years, where like you never think he's bad, but you don't know remember that he's that good either. Yeah. And like to do both of these shows back to back, and it doesn't matter what gimmick, like you put this man up against anybody and give him inspiration. It's weird that he was found by Dusty Rhodes because he's got a little bit of Dusty Rhodes in him. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this is a Bossman Mountie, and it's such a weird matchup in that Mountie never seems like he's a threat. Like he's more a threat <laughs> of like ruining Bossman's gimmick because I think as a heel. He kind of shows that the boss man gimmick is kind of a way just to maybe abuse people, you know. So I think Bossman has to shut him down as a as a figure. Like in the ring, Bossman dominates him, but I think you got to be real careful when a heel is kind of like outing your gimmick as something other than maybe a baby face. <laughs> well, you definitely have to uh, make sure you're abusing the right people. Yes. You have a role like that. So. <laughs> Speaking of that, my favorite moment outside the matchup is Bobby Heenan takes another shot at the big boss man's mother. And because we can actually talk about history, Grill Monsoon says, oh, you're going to start that again. <laughs> it's great. He never completely learns his lesson, I don't think, all the way through 
any of this. And it's just the greatness of Bobby Heaton that he keeps going back to it, keep pulling it off and uh, just, just not learning because the brain doesn't learn. We know this. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's a beautiful way to put it. Cause he's going to be dragged out in one of the most humiliating occurrences in wrestling, dragged out of raw, the new format and thrown out of the building. And then he's just going to walk across the street to WCW and be the same heel there. <laughs> Absolutely. Gene Okerlund will say, no, not you again. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's great stuff. Oh this is, God. this is what it feels like when they're at the best. Like we said this in the eighties when the announcers are as much a part of it as the wrestlers, like gorillas hitting, Roddy Piper's hitting, Bobby Heenan's hitting, Mounties hitting, Bossman's hitting. It's all just working and coming together. And these are the moments you can just stay in. This is that 70% that you're talking about. Oh, yeah, this is the good stuff. And I will say Big Boss Man sure is hitting because I've said it before, but, God, when he punches somebody, mm. I don't know how that guy's head doesn't fly off his body because, like, the way he hits in the ring is just a goddamn beautiful thing, and I really got to praise that to the high heavens here. He knows it, too. That's the worst part. Oh, yeah. Like, in some of these, he slows it down and exaggerates it and sticks it and – Again, he's got the force of a baby face. If he did, if he did some of what he does as a heel, like the announcers would be groaning. Like Jack Tunney <laughs> needs to do something about this guy, but he's doing it for all that is right now. And he can slow it down and he can punish and it's all like just, it's all just a good thing. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. I, I, the offensive big boss man is so good. We, I, uh, one of my favorite things in wrestling is a good working punch. You know, you talk about Jerry Lawler, Bobby Eaton, like some other guys. Big Boss Man, I think, is up there with anybody. Just the way he does those hits. And you're right, if he was a heel, they'd be like, oh, those closed fists. I can't believe it. Yeah. But he's a face. So it's like, yeah, punch him in the face, you know. Teach him about law and order in America. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. take that for what you will. But it's very fun stuff. And this is kind of just, if you're watching this stuff, like my next note is Big Boss Man's offense is too good for notes. Mm. Yes, yes, so true. It's one of the first matches I've enjoyed in the history of the Legacy series that I didn't take a lot of specific notes on because of the fact, sometimes it's like, oh, Boss Man punched him in the face with his right hand. Well, that's not all that happened. You know, <laughs> I can't do justice to the fact. He did just punch him in the face with his right hand, but Big Boston punched him with his right hand, with his motion, with his style, and the notes just don't do it justice. They really don't. How do you articulate and capture the fact that he didn't just punch him, he he decapitated him, you know, with that right hand? Yeah. You, you can't really put words to it. You, you just have to watch it. It's so good. Was it you or Benjamin Button that put that match up between uh, Bubba Rogers and Arn Anderson in the? Oh in man, the I don't know. That sounds like something I would do, but it also sounds like something Benny would do. So I don't know. One of us deserves credit for putting that up there, though. Yeah, whoever did it deserves a lot of credit because I started to see some Arn Anderson too. Because it's such oh, a yeah. weird thing to say of Bossman, who were comparing to Dusty Rhodes, to Vader, to everything else. But there's an intentionality and a technique. That doesn't get enough talk in in Big Boss Man. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, he's another one where just about everything he does uh, serves a great purpose. He's very intentional about everything he does. He's very keyed in. I do see a little uh, Arn Anderson in him as well. He's a great mix of a lot of great wrestlers that we've been talking about. 
Yeah, I don't think I ever would have thought about that until someone posted that matchup. And I was like, huh. They're both a little bit gritty. They're both, you know, they kind of represent that, that, even though I think Arnold's from Minnesota, they represent that region of the country. You know, it's that NWA style. But it's also, there's an awakened alertness. Mm. Like, you'll be shocked, probably because Bubba, our big boss man, runs around so much. But when he slows down and you get a look at his eyes and you get a look at what he's doing, he's doing it way more on purpose then the gimmick would make you think he's capable of doing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So they both hit great spine busters as well. So you yes. get that going as well. <laughs> this is also, this might be Jacques throwing his cattle prod, but I'm going to pretend like it's not whether it is or isn't. I don't know, but this is, this is how beautiful the sequences of the big boss men is when you're watching them. Not only can you not take notes because they're just too beautiful. They got too much behind them. He is, uh, He's an air. I don't know what quality he is, but he's an airbender. Like this man, there's there's air around him in everything that he does. And uh, Jacques gets that cattle prod, which has been the key to victory in almost all his matches as the Mountie. And he is standing over him, and he's gonna hit him. And Big Boss Man uppercuts the Mountie in a way that sends the Mountie's arms flying up over his head. And he throws the cattle prod, and the cattle prod lands. In the corner, exactly where it's supposed to sit when it's not being used. <laughs> That's an airbender, and that is the offense of the big boss man. Yep, absolutely. I, you know, he shaped that event uh, one way or another in a beautiful way. That, what an incredible moment, man. Just throwing that uppercut. At, oh, somebody was doing amazing work at this time, agenting matches. I don't mm. know who was putting them together, but God... The, the great matches on this card are just so great, and I really can't say enough good things about them. Yeah, also, I haven't had a, I've been way too busy, but I think it's BK. Shout out to whoever said that everything that we're bragging about happens to be when Bruce Pritchard had left the company, whether that means anything or not. <laughs> or at least uh, got kicked from his creative role. Yeah, no kidding. Like, yeah. I didn't know that happened around this time, but man, something's different, and it could very well be that, because... Man, something feels a lot fresher now than it did a year ago. And uh, the good stuff in this company is really just firing off right now. And it's just going to get better because soon we're going to have the main event fixed as well. So that that's something to look forward to. It symbolizes something because you know how hard it would be if you were part of that, that, that rise in the 80s to do anything except keep going back to that well even years after it's proven that it's not working. Like, I understand why you would do that. that. But, man, like you said, this is fresh and it's necessary. But I think it almost takes, like, as a human being, you got to just keep thinking, like, why not go back to that thing that worked, even though it's not working? So, you know, like you said, shout out to whatever creative, whatever agents, whoever is getting the job done alongside these wrestlers, because we are in the midst of some inspired, some of the most inspired work, because. Not only all of this is happening, but much more like Voldemort than Aslan. We are told that rumor has it that Jake Roberts and The Undertaker are on the move. Like they've been spotted. And what a world and what characters you create that when you happen to see two wrestlers who work for a wrestling company, like you almost feel like they should evacuate the building because Undertaker and Jake are not on the card, but they've been spotted there. Man, when you say it like that, 
that they're on the move. Man, I feel like I'm walking through a graveyard at night, and I looked up on a hill, and I saw, like, their shadows walking by or something. Like, (laughs) I need to get the hell out of there just even thinking about that. So you are right. Man, if I spotted them in the building, if they, like, walked by some corridor that I was near and I just glimpsed them for a second, yeah, I'd sound the alarm. I'd say, man, get the exorcist in here because, like, we got trouble. (laughs) Absolutely. Unlike the nasty boys, these Death Eaters are not there for a hot dog and a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, no kidding. Holy smokes. Okay, so weird thing is the way this match ends. So first we have Bossman hitting his big finisher and Mountie kicking out of it. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, I forgot how it ended, but to me it was a little bit of a, how did it? Yeah, I kind of liked it, actually. Uh, Mountie does kick out. He's trying to come in with the shock stick again, and Bossman avoids it. He hits uh, a new move, which is basically kind of an Alabama slam, that water wheel slam that uh, oh. to me always looks good. And he gets the win with it, and I'm all about wrestlers who tack on some big move, you know, that they don't usually win with. So I, I thought that actually worked pretty well for me. Okay, so I just don't have it in my notes. But, man, Bossman gets the victory. And then, you know, here here come the three guys who you were just standing backstage with, and you tell them to abuse the loser. So, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I got to say, like, they show, they kind of, like, cut back and forth to these clips over the next little bit. I, just, I don't know if it's intermission or what, where you get kind of a string of promos. And, man... All of these vignettes with the Mountie getting dragged off to jail are A++, in my opinion. Like, you will never see a guy working harder, I think, than the Mountie to sell all this stuff. He never stops, like, fighting and yelling and, like, trying different tactics and begging. And, like, he's trying to convince him at one point, oh, I'm just like you. And he's, like, reading them Miranda rights and trying to, like, be buddies with them. And he won't have his picture taken until they kind of, like, insult him. And then he pokes his head up. They take his picture. He tries to give him the finger. They grab the finger, and they're fingerprinting him and all this stuff. Like, it's just A-plus in my book. The Mountie Jacques, he's killing it once again. He is selling the consequences of this stipulation harder than anybody ever could have hoped that he would. (laughs) Absolutely. This is going to be the strangest reach of of an example, but... uh, in three years, The Undertaker is going to wrestle Yokozuna in a casket match, and The Undertaker is going to lose the casket match and then appear on the screen ascending to heaven. This right here is Jacques' ascension to heaven moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he doesn't even need a stand-in to kind of, like, float up to the ceiling for him. So, yeah. you know, he, he's got the simpler time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, if you, <laughs> if you put the Mountie in a casket, instead I think you just get, like, inside the casket camera shots of him like freaking out for the next half hour. So he is dedicated to selling the end of this stipulation. Yeah, It's over. Like this is, this is his first casket match. Like this is his first jailhouse match as the Mountie and he got handled and he lost. And now they're going to videotape every, like it's over for this guy in so many ways. And he's a heel. So nobody cares, but yet he's acting like he's stone cold Steve Austin in a feud with Vince McMahon. You know, <laughs> he's acting like he's Vince yeah. McMahon in a feud with Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah. Props to whatever provoked him to keep like acting like the professional that he is at the level that he did, man. Just just shout out to Jacques for like, you know, you would think this is a tryout to, to get a job for a company. <laughs> well, like you said, you see this guy and you want to keep him around and he will he will be sticking around. You will see him with. 
Pierre being very yeah. successful in the tag division, you know, in years to come, he will have a lot of success. So he yeah. really deserves it. And it's incredible, too, because, like, this could have been nothing, you know. Uh, th- these these vignettes could have just been kind of like, ho-hum, he's dragged off to jail. I don't think there's any director on site who's like, Jock, you have to, like, really get over the top here. You have to really <laughs> sell it. Like, this guy is just doing it because he knows he's that professional. Like, this is how you sell it. This is how you make something of it. And yes, like you said, this is how you get noticed and you get to keep doing your gimmick, even though you just lost to the guy that the gimmick exists for. So there's good yeah. stuff here. All these vagabonds will be around in a couple of years to challenge the great Lex Luger in his American crusade. <laughs> That's for sure. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. Man, they're going to have some matches with the Steiners that I'm going to have so many good things yeah. to say about. So there's some good stuff coming. I'm glad you reminded me because I really thought this is last night that, that that we're gonna see Jacques. So like you done me a favor there with that uh, reality check. My pleasure. Okay, so we're gonna go to Angry Ted DiBiase, who pretty much is gonna give us a rundown of what we've already seen. It's a disqualification. You don't just restart matches. The referee is biased. Virgil didn't really win, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep, it's a nice promo. Uh, DiBiase and Sherry, they're great together. They don't quite have that uh, Disney villain. Well, maybe like, like uh, they could they could sit around with like Cruella Deville, maybe like some non-magical yeah. villain. I think they could still hang with, but uh, you know they're not on that um, witch's cauldron level quite, which mm. is too bad. Yeah, she really did go from the spiritual to the material in in the most extreme way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, Sherry was always amazing at adapting to her uh, client. You know, uh, she was with Savage kind of in that outer space plane, and now. Now she's wearing the gold with DiBiase. When she's with Sean, it'll be all about, like, love and looks and all that stuff. So, man, she's an adaptable one, for sure. Yeah. Man, I'm so ready for Shawn Michaels and Rick Martel. Oh, it's going to be good, good stuff there. Okay, so Bret Hart, man, he says this is the greatest day for the hitman. He's waited a long time, and, man, just Mr. Perfect, you just weren't good enough. <laughs> See this promo and... Um, Maybe it's the anti-Jacques because I'm like, the match was great. I don't know if on this promo I would have, uh, you know, thought anything of Bret Hart. But, you know, he's the champion now, so we'll see what he can do. It's the funny thing about him being insecure as the babyface because, man, after his match is there, there's nobody more secure and that knew it all along uh, than <laughs> Bret Hart. <laughs> yep, that's true. Very true. Oh, boy, here come all the Jimmy Hart things I think that you mentioned. So we got Jimmy Hart with the natural disasters. He's, he's yelling, get my lawyers, you know. Are we, are we there to like why are the natural disasters there like is this about the mountain is it about so on and so forth plus we got the nasty boys defending the tag tiles that hasn't even happened so just a lot going on and it's all kind of jimmy hart centered and it's a lot of screeching and yelling i i will say two things one um yes way too many jimmy hart segments but I'm glad that he acknowledged what was happening to the Mountie. It would have been worse if he just, like, ignored it. So I'll give some yes. credit there. And two, thank God he was here and not at the jail with the Mountie because I think he would have straight up ruined those segments. So we'll be yeah. glad for that at least. I agree with both of those. <laughs> uh, Sean Mooney. Go ahead. No, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Sean Mooney's with the big boss man. He says, what kind of bird can't fly? A jailbird. And then he uh, yells some more. So I... I I love the idea of having like these rapid fire promos, but it didn't feel like a lot of these people had much to say. So I don't no. know. 
they're just killing time at intermission, I guess. So Yeah, I was wondering how you would take this because I think we both had bragged about the intermission rapid fire promos on a couple of shows. <laughs> Usually they're good. This was just sort of like, you know, this is not Regis like trying to pull something out of the Undertaker. This is um just just some guys like saying generic lines, so that's not it. Yeah. A lot of it just irritated me and which is again a sign of the bad side of this company right now. Yeah. I did enjoy uh, Okerlund uh, coming in on Savage. He started changing into his wedding gear. He's still on the phone, on the hotline. Okerlund, uh, he wants you to call that 900 number, so you'll be hearing that a lot as we go forward. Yeah, and in great Gene Okerlund fashion, like it's nothing, just decides, oh, well, let's have the promo, and the guy stays on the 900 number, and you know, we just, we'll just stretch this thing out for another 10 minutes. <laughs> you you pay by the minute on the, in that in that world just for the record. Oh yes. Did you ever call this number that they always talk about? I think I wanted to. I always was afraid I was gonna get in trouble because my parents did like they didn't already didn't understand buying pay per views, but we didn't ask for anything. Like we didn't ask for new clothes half the time. Like we just wanted pay per views. But I knew if all of a sudden like nine hundred number calls started appearing <laughs> in the in the phone bill as well. And then there was also this weird thing that. I think it was in our phone book. I don't know if anybody knows about this or not. What it was, you could call it, and I don't think it cost any money, and it would tell you rumors and things going on in wrestling. Wow. Hmm. In the phone book, no less. <laughs> I think so. I don't know where we got it from, but we, we started calling that, and it would update maybe on Tuesday, and we'd be so excited because, like, it, it was before the, you know, Internet, and then but they'd be giving you stuff. That you had never heard before. So we called that, but we never called the 900 number. Because number one, at the beginning, I was afraid of getting in trouble. And I'm sure there were times where, like, guess who's uh, jumping ship or coming to this company where I wanted to call. But it didn't take long even not calling it to realize that you probably got better information by not calling. <laughs> you better information out of this magic phone book number, apparently. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I oh, man, to be a kid again and in that yeah. world. Wow. I, I wonder if Benjamin Button remembers that, because a lot of times we have similar, like weirdly similar childhood situations. So maybe Benjamin Button remembers that. Maybe someone else does. But there was a phone number, and I think it updated on Tuesdays, and it would tell us certain things going on. Maybe. Okay. I'm I look done. forward to hearing more about it, hopefully. that That's very interesting stuff. Uh, yeah. I always am curious, like, what is on the, like, what does it even sound like? I can barely imagine it. I, is it just a guy like kind of cutting a promo on a loop like that's recorded or something? Yeah, or... it just feels like, oh, in this news, uh, so-and-so is thinking about, you know, just a, a recorded <laughs> like, short. Oh, my gosh. that's uh, There's something about that. I, I probably would never have paid for it either, but, man, there's something about that. It exists at a very particular time and place that gives me nostalgia, even though I wasn't even there. So, I don't know, just something about it. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, and this stuff matters. I'm glad you somehow got that out of me because I, I haven't remembered that since it happened, but we got to really get into some of these things, you know, later because I think it's around 96 or 97, all of a sudden, like, we're going to be online, uh, and that world's going to change so fast. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, web TV got us online at the beginning, so we, <laughs> we, we will we'll go there when we get there. But right now, like you said, they're already doing certain things. They've created their mailing list by Hulk Hogan going out by earthquake and sending him letters. Now they're going to milk the 900 number. And apparently Gene Oakland is normalizing, like just call the 900 number. And if the wrestler is busy talking to someone else, just stay on the line. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that's the thing too. Could you actually talk to these wrestlers sometimes? Like, I think so. In the WCW, oh they would always show them backstage. I remember uh, that. Although they were usually talking to like Lee Marshall or somebody, not yeah. like to a fan. So I don't know. That's crazy though. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. You would think if they're having that whole thing with Savage all night that they, it would be for a reason. But did they ever put a 900 number up there? I didn't see the number come up, but they sometimes take it off the network, you know, because oh, they don't want you yeah, to call it now. So I don't know. Could be. Yeah, but, you know, I never got into that because, like, you know, even I couldn't just like number one is just fear. <laughs> but also, like, if my parents really pinned me down, like, OK, there's a fifty dollar extra charge. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was listening to people talk on the phone in a way that has nothing to do really with storyline. Like, I think we've talked about this before, but Probably. I've never been that crazy about meeting the wrestlers out. Like, I appreciate right. them for their gimmicks. And so even talking to them on the phone, if that was an option might would do more damage for me than than it would do good and at best it would be neutral and none of that justifies like my dad finding out that i'm calling a <laughs> 900 number i understand barry keep lex luger uh in your mind and on the tv yeah. then talk on the phone and man i'll say you you it didn't happen to you i'm sure some kids really got roasted for calling that number so yeah. um yeah there's there's a real danger there and Gene doesn't care. Nope, nope. <laughs> Gene will not comfort you when you've been punished. So. Oh man, I bet if Gene Oakland, I don't know how what family he has, but if he does have family, I bet if they call some nine hundred number while he was at work, that that would be that would be a trouble at home. <laughs> so he probably had kids, I would think. That's weird to think of that Gene Oakland yeah. was somebody's dad. So I'll have to think on that. Absolutely. Meanwhile, we'll go to Jimmy Hart with the Nasty Boys. No, we won't. I have nothing to say about Jimmy Hart. Um, Doom, Sergeant Slaughter, it's all kind of boring stuff. The only thing I'll comment on, uh, and you can go back if you want, the only thing for me is we got Sid kind of at the end of this. Sid is with Okerlund. Oh, boy, he's gritting his teeth, and he's trying (laughs) to promo through them, and he stands alone. And it's just, oh, it's Sid, and I'm already tired of him. Oh, from just this one promo, I was already tired. We see a clip of Sergeant Slaughter and his guys like came and said, oh, we're going to make you first lieutenant, Sid, which I admit was kind of funny, but it just made Sid grit his teeth some more. He's going to do justice, and man, I'm over him already, so I don't know about you. How far do you think, uh, to salute your shorts, uh, Sergeant Slaughter world is physically from the net from Nastyville? Oh, God. It's got to be real close. And I'll tell you, Sid, face or heel, is not far from there either. I see him grit his teeth at some kid and try to go after him. So, Jesus. Yeah, this is uh, – I was fantasizing um, that Gen- instead of Slaughter being the guy, General Adnan was the guy, and they just pretended like it was Saddam Hussein had entered the WWF. <laughs> Man, right. we're going to talk about this more, but what the hell were they thinking putting the Iron Sheik and Adnan about idiotic. 10 years past their expiration date in the main event of a pay-per-view like SummerSlam? Jesus, talk about your match from hell. It was hell watching this main event that we're going to have to talk about in a little bit here. I said Sergeant Slaughter looks like he'd be a heel in a Christian Tribulation movie. You are absolutely right about that, and you probably have some Middle Eastern uh, buddies in that as well. So, yep. good. And he's got those shaded sunglasses. Yeah, he absolutely. No, be. he he's right out of Left Behind or something. The oh, shit yeah. that I heard about when I was a kid that I never got into, but some of my uh, peers did. 
And man, yeah, he is exactly that. Jesus. And if you go back to the older ones before the chips and the technology, uh, the tribulation, it would just be like a, a stamped six 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 on your head, and he's got all, he's got all the the forehead for that. Yep. You know, Crush so I can see him. Maybe. Yeah. Hogan trying to redeem him, like brother, uh, Hulkamania is forgiving. You can never pass forgiveness, and he just removes his cap, and he's got those numbers on his head, and then. Oh, in primetime wrestling for the weekend. We'll see what happens next week in, in, in <laughs> WWF slash Tribulation. <laughs> uh, it's a shame because I do like Sergeant Slaughter and some of his versions. Yes. I think he's probably the guy working the hardest in this whole storyline. But the execution is just bad. The gimmick is bad. Everything about it is just not working. So, yeah, it deserves all the crap that we can throw at it. Yeah, he's a mighty fine bumper and worker. That's not has nothing to do with the conversation. The conversation yeah. is he has been in the main event for six to nine months, and the gimmick's insane. It's inappropriate. It's offbeat. It doesn't know what it is. It has no tension. It has no urgency. And it is partly the reason I think that Undertaker and Sid and Ric Flair and anyone can have their way with Hulk Hogan until he has to run away and retire because you pay a price for spending six months wrestling uh, Luke and Butch and acting like it's Andre and Roddy Piper or something. Oh, man, It's beyond absurdity that Gulf War, all hostility stopped in February and it is August and we cannot let this go. It's kind of sick. I think Vince McMahon wanted nothing more than for there to be like a whole war that he could yeah. trade in on. And the fact that it didn't happen, I think, was a bitter disappointment to him. It's the it's the insanity of it because if there's a war, it makes them look bad. Mm. If there's not a war, it makes them look bad. So like, what does that <laughs> tell you about the gimmick? <laughs> it was never gonna work ever. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Somewhere the uh, LOD were also up here, so we also, in case you wanted, <laughs> I zipped past them. They didn't say not, hardly none of these guys said anything interesting. Unfortunately, they just sort of were very generic. And, uh, you know, these promos should have happened in front of a green screen on, uh, you know, Wrestling Challenge or something. So All the tag teams are going to lick or chew or bite or spit out. So there's a very, <laughs> very hungry tag team division, but uh, nothing to do with the wrestling, I don't think. Oh, I don't think so. I love I love the Road Warriors, though, honestly. And uh, they're about to win those tag titles, which I'm very happy about. It's a light of a little light of, of hope in the tag division. I don't know if it'll pan out or not, but uh well, we got Legion of Doom anyway. Yeah, this is a street fight, no disqualification. So I kind of felt like they were going to come in, put one of them on their shoulders, clothesline them, and be tag team champions. <laughs> I wish that you could have traded match lengths with this and the WrestleMania match, you know, <laughs> a dad with power and glory. Because, uh, <sighs> I don't know, the nasties will be so, so prevalent in 90s wrestling, and I will never understand why. Yeah, only in only with the nasty boys. There's a random container of drinks that they can put on the LOD at ringside. Yeah, you know, I don't know how they summon like the ketchup and the mustard and everything else, but man, they're good at that. Man, they really should have been with Fuji with all this yes. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Another I'm so tired of that. Yeah, oh dear, go this, ahead, please. I, I'll say I probably like this match a little more than you. I thought it was not that bad, all things considered. And that's uh, really just because I, I really enjoy the Legion of Doom. Um, I like their hard hitting. I like that they didn't really put up with a lot of the nasties uh, crap. 
Uh, it's not an amazing match. I kind of liked it. I liked it a little more than I thought I would maybe. So I'll give it some credit here. I said this about the last one. I don't know who they were wrestling, but I haven't found any of the Nasty Boy matches to be bad. Yeah. But I don't not, care. <laughs> they're not good either. So they could be Ricky Steamboat, and I wouldn't. Then I'd be saying the same thing because, like, if you if you put me off, like, it's not my job. I don't understand what some people do. Like, some people have some great loyalty, and and I, I appreciate it, but. If I don't like something, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm not going to sit around and complain all day about it. So, like, if I don't like – if the Nasty Boys annoy me or are off-putting or I don't want to go to Nastyville, then I will go to another channel. So every time I watch them so far, they're in better shape than they're going to be for most of the 90s. They're younger. The matches are not bad, but it's the Nasty Boys. And, again, I want some authenticity – and the Nasty Boys are not going to do anything to the Legion of Doom. They, you know, even if you take someone to Nastyville, I think that just means you put their face under their armpit. <laughs> like then they're going to remove their face from their armpit and clothesline them, and they're still going to beat them. So, you know, it's not their wrestling that is the problem. It's the gimmick. It's the nonsense. It is too much Nickelodeon. You know, between Sergeant Slaughter and between the Nasty Boys and the and the Legion, uh, the excuse me, the Natural Disasters. It's just it's too much junk. Yeah. But the match, no, nah, the match wasn't that bad. You know, not a bad match. All right, fair yeah. enough. This is like we're actually more or less on the same page. Uh, I'm definitely with you on the nasties. The gimmick does nothing for me. It is off-putting. Uh, their whole look, their vibe, their tactics. Um, you know, even when they are fine wrestlers, which sometimes they definitely are, um, it kind of doesn't matter. And it's what we've talked about before. It's like um, once when you have that buy-in, you know, you can forgive a lot of things, but if you don't have buy-in, then yeah. every bad thing is going to stick out to you. And, man, I've just not ever been able to buy in on the Nasty Boys, so I can't help but seeing every stupid thing, every gross thing, every weird flaw that is in their act, and there's quite a few. Yeah, and then you're going to tell me that LOD did what they did to Power and Glory and the amount of time they did it, and now they got a street fight with the Nasty Boys and they can't get the job done for for all that time. That's a great point, yeah. For as long as this match goes, you'd think they'd just have run them over in uh, seconds and probably would have been a better uh, experience if that had happened. So, you know. And they're savvy, though. They they almost murdered Ken Shamrock, uh, so. Um, Wait, who the, did? The Nasty Warriors? Boys almost I can't. This is. I haven't read this since I was maybe a teenager. Whenever Ken Shamrock's book came out, I think he wanted to confront them, and one of them hid behind the door and hit him over the head with something. And I don't. I don't know if there's a balcony involved, but they're, so they're pretty savvy. So I can't take that away from them. I mean, for God's sakes, I would not mess with the Road Warriors, even if I was Ken Shamrock, and he's he's a legit guy, you know. But man, just no. I mean, the, the Nasty Boys, not the Road Warriors. The Nasty Boys almost killed Ken Shamrock? Yes, when were they even yes. in the same room? Oh, my God. That, that's even more confusing. So, yeah, all right. that's what I'm saying. So, like, even my arguments are falling flat. So, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I try to be honest the best that I can, the best that any human being can. So, like, half of this is my problem, not the Nasty Boys problem, because apparently they got over with a lot of people, and apparently that they're, they're savvy enough to get the best of Ken Shamrock, which most people will not live to do that. <laughs> I, I don't think that – um. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting story that I'm gonna have to look up, but it Please has nothing do. to do with their wrestling ability for sure. So, oh my god. No, but I mean, if they can do that, they might be able to last ten minutes, you know, 
but that doesn't change power and glory. Like again, I would rather take my chances with the nasty boys than to, to, to fight uh, Hercules. So, you know, <laughs> there's, maybe if, there's there's real life, and then there's the vibe you put out in the ring. So you yeah. know, even if you can do something in a hotel to Ken Shamrock, more power to you. But if your vibe is like the smelly nasty guys, then you're not that scary in terms of like when you're on screen. Exactly. So, all right, the nasty boys almost end the life of Ken Shamrock. Let's see if I can. Um, this is uh, this incident took place in October 1990 when Shamrock was with the promotion. What promotion? I think we're looking at the same article, but I don't even know what. Yeah. Oh, South Atlantic Pro Wrestling. I've never heard of that. I had no idea Shamrock was even involved in that. So that's nuts. You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look at this later. This is too much of a, a rabbit hole to go down right now. We got we got a few more things to talk about on this show. The thing that I will say though is I read it in Ken Shamrock's book, and Shamrock's the one who gets handled. So like I, you know, I got to believe it's true. I'm sure it's true. Yeah, if you're gonna lie about something, it wouldn't be you wouldn't make up a story where you got beat up by the nasty boys yeah. for God's sake. So yeah, if you do look at it, uh, let me know uh, what you think because uh, it's been a long. I just I I remember a balcony. I remember them hitting him with something and and maybe nearly killing him. So Jesus, all right, crazy, crazy stuff. Did they get? Yeah, they they put them on the shoulders though. So that I, I don't know what it is about the LOD's finisher, but man, I, it's very satisfying to witness. I love the Doomsday Device. I can't remember if they actually hit it on the Natural Disasters later. So if they do, that's well, going to be some impressive stuff. I don't know if they do, but if they no did, way. I would believe that they could do it. Man, I love the way they flip out of it too. Like Hulk turns you inside out off the shoulder of Adam. Yeah, yeah, it's a great. I mean, this is one of the, this is a tag team that ran around popping territories, you know, left and right in their heyday and they're still looking pretty damn good in the ring. So I, I got to give them credit. This is another team that some people are like, Oh, well, they're too limited. I don't really like them. And I guess more power to you, but man, like the energy of the road warriors is, is very big to me. Like I really enjoy watching them work. Yeah. Even when they go to WCW, they'll be even more limited because it's like 96, but man, <laughs> they'll be back in 97 in this company and we'll cover it. So we'll see what happens then. Yeah, and I when I love seeing them with Luger and Sting and the Steiners and Harlem Heat. Like even if they weren't, at, you know, again, this is the Virgil conversation. Like wrestling would be just as bad if everybody was Bret Hart. <laughs> you know, like I don't want everybody to be Bret Hart. Right. Yep. It takes away from Bret Hart and it takes away from everybody else. So, you know, please understand. And like I said, I just called myself out for not liking the Nasty Boys enough. So we try we try our best. On the show, I'm still not gonna like them. And I still don't want to see them, but like it's not because of their wrestling. It's because I don't. Nastyville, again, like this is wrestling at the end of the day. I just don't feel like anybody cares if you take them to Nastyville or not. That has nothing to do like how you got the tag team titles. I don't know. It wasn't Nastyville, and it wasn't Sergeant Slaughter in in Salute Your Shorts, and it wasn't whatever Earthquake and Typhoon are for God's sake. Yeah. So. I'm trying Whatever. to remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember how long they're around because I know they're in '92 at least somewhat, but they, they, I think they're gone by '93. So like, we don't really have that long to work with the Nasty Boys here in WWF. That feels like a long time to me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But they're definitely not in the mix in '93 when it's like, um, you know, the 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 new Samoans and the. The, the Beverly Brothers and the Steiners and all those guys. Yeah. So, yeah, they're not in that mix at all. 
they amuse me with how slim they are. Sometimes it's like they're Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes, and they're like six seven at this time, but you know their shapes are just out of proportion. They're still kind of the same shape, but they're a skinny version of it. But they look taller and they look very young. But I also know in five minutes they're gonna look like whatever I remember them as. <laughs> I feel like it could be the next night, and then they could switch it up again. So <laughs> yeah, they're gonna get a lot of wider in short order here. So <laughs> yes. uh, I get you. <laughs> Yeah, their faces especially. Like their faces are going. It's like someone squeezed their faces together, and they're slowly just going to come back out to the side. They're such strange-looking guys in general. Yeah. I don't have as much against the dark-haired one. The blonde, the blonde one, for some reason, I just I don't is the worst. Nobs is the one that gets you, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And he was the one who stuck around as like a singles guy. So more's the pity. Well, they lost their tag titles. LOD is the tag team champions. I guess we're going to move into natural disasters, and LOD is the next. Uh, Looks like it, yeah. I wonder how you feel like if you're Jimmy Hart and you're like, okay, so the Nasty Boys lost the belts, I'll be moving my other team in here. Is that going to cause issues or the Nasty Boys just don't care? I don't know. Oh, I'm trying to remember. There's some Jimmy Hart will like switch teams at some point. I'm trying to remember who he goes to, but I'm pretty sure the Natural Disasters might be baby faces before the end of all this, and Jimmy Hart will end up on the other side of them. Maybe with Money Inc. Could that be? I don't know. We'll Could see. be. Yeah. That's another thing about the Nasty Boys. I think they're always just so likable that they have to be turned face. <laughs> Jesus. You know, I think that's true, though. You know? It's not true to me. I can't get yeah. on with that. I can't even admit that in the interest of fairness. So, I, I don't know. It sure does happen, is all I can say. And, you know, again, more power. I'm not judging anybody's taste because, like, I won't. I want to live in a world where there's taste I don't understand. But <laughs> Fair it's enough. just not it's not mine i don't know this tag scene gets a little complicated so we'll just have to keep an eye on it as we go not the best matchup on the show but maybe my favorite match for existing on the show is next and that is the legacy series debut of irs versus greg the hammer valentine oh man i'm glad you said that this is a match that it might as well have not have happened for all the relevance it has yeah. but i actually did enjoy it quite a bit it is greg valentine versus irs IRS is showing up, and I'll just say, we'll, we'll watch IRS as we go. I love the gimmick. I kind of like Rotunda. I, I, I found him uh, kind of boring at times as we go forward, so I think he will have his drawbacks. But even so, I am glad to see him because, uh, I don't know, there's something about the IRS gimmick that, that just kind of hits me in the right place. I'm a little sad to see him because we will, this means that we will now never see the greatest version of the York Foundation that would have existed. That is very true. It's weird to think about what's happening on the other side of the line, but yeah, no. He abandoned that computer program that could tell him how fast he would win his matches, and now he's just here to nag you about your taxes. Yeah, it's funny he did all that, and then he went from like a laptop to a briefcase. <laughs> I guess there is more money in it. I don't know. Yeah, what yeah. did you do? What is... Uh, um, the figure four versus the W four is a Bobby Heenan quote. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I had that one written down as well. That's a great one. Oh my gosh, that man keeps his shoes very, very clean and very shine. The the IRS character. <laughs> I'm just glad he ended up in this gear because I've seen his actual debut in like uh, you know one of these recorded house shows, and he's got the same like upper body suit, but he has these brown like full leggings that oh man it's the worst look i ever saw so he he did a good idea to switch to the black slacks oh my gosh i think i see them right now <laughs> oh 
it's, wow. It's okay. horrible. Yeah. So so he made a good fashion choice by SummerSlam. Yeah, that wasn't gonna work. So, <laughs> man. Okay, so he's out there. Andre the Giant has probably left the building because you know we we know that man. You know, <laughs> that's the greatest feud that never happened. Oh my god, it is now. It definitely sounds better than uh, anything else Andre was doing at this time. So, holy smokes. Okay, so we got Greg Valentine. To me, is very much into Ronnie Garvin role now. Yeah, no, the 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 same guy he feuded with. He's been kind of downgraded, and he's sort of this. Uh, Babyface jobber to the stars, unfortunately, but he'll still get a few chances to do some really good uh, matches in there. And hey, this is one of them because in the ring, he's still as damn great as he ever was, I think. Yeah. And the immediacy of Bobby Heenan, Roddy Piper says, the hammer rarely makes the same mistake twice. And Heenan says, yeah, usually he makes it three or four times. Oh, yes, some dynamite lines from Heenan all through this. We also get still the old, uh, oh, well, Greg Valentine, he has to wrestle for like 20 minutes before he does anything, you know, mm. which is, it's not true, and they always say it. So, you know, that I don't know if that's a rib or what, but that is definitely like his talking point. More than him being a hammer, true. he is like the slow warm-up guy. It feels true, I think, and I can see it being a rib, too, because – God knows we don't need 20 minutes to wrestle matches in the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, I would have loved to see a few of these 20-minute Greg Valentine matches they're always talking about. They never seem to happen, so, oh well. Yeah. This one's going to be a roll-up and win. It's kind of IRS. Just IRS is a cheat. You know, he gets in there and he gets it done whatever way he has to get it done. It is the beginning of a gimmick that probably should have failed in a lot of ways like if it's on paper i wouldn't have put money down on it but it's going to be very successful especially when we get to the um money inc they're going to be the tag team champions for quite a bit so irs this is the beginning of the irs journey yeah it's a gimmick that ended up being memorable i successful seems like a stretch because i don't know if he will really have that much success until he gets into that tag team. And then it's still kind of Ted DiBiase doing the legwork, but certainly it's a gimmick. You remember maybe just cause it's, uh, it's certainly as over the top as any we've seen. It's really kind of cartoonish, but more in a fun way and not kind of in like a stupid way. So yeah. I don't know exactly. We'll articulate it better as we go along. It's still in that vein of just trying to irritate people though, with him, you know, <laughs> telling them before the matchup, like you people haven't been paying your taxes and all of that. It, it takes, I think it takes on a more serious note because it's got a serious rustler behind it. But it again is all, it's very singular and it's very like, you know, oh, boo, I hate this man because he irritates me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for one thing, yes, like you said, uh, I, Mike Rotunda treats it about as serious as a heart attack when he's talking <laughs> about these taxes. So that definitely helps. Uh, but the other thing is. Like, there's irritating and there's irritating, you know? There's a guy who just, like, makes these comments before a match. You're like, oh, boo, I don't want to hear these comments. And, like, it's still kind of fun. And then there's the guys who are, like, shrilly squeaking. And you're yeah. like, I don't even want to, like, this is not fun. I don't even want to hear about it. So That's just interesting. He's not a real IRS. Uh, and he can't audit you. <laughs> so if he's doing his promo and it's making you mad, you're probably just another Andre the Giant who has something to be mad about. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what do you have to hide? You know, <laughs> you're just revealing your own guilt if you boo IRS, I guess. 
I really feel like the next bonus episode we're going to get Andre the Giant and IRS at least promos building up to the match whether it happened uh, or not. I wish if I could if I could find it I would so we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> oh man, so we got that going on. IRS is now on the board in the World Wrestling Federation. Gene Oakland, we go to the back. He's got Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior who have come together after their WrestleMania six match, and I would not know that they even have a history or that it matters at all. It doesn't matter. None of this. Hulk Hogan, yeah, this is where you reference it. He says, oh, I've been waiting since 1984 to get that feeling back when I won the world title, and I'm going to slap this moron who is disrespecting Andre the Giant, who must have left the building, like you said, because he wouldn't <laughs> have said that shit if Andre could come and choke the life out of him again. He says, folks, this is 1991, for those that have listened to our show and been on this journey with uh, Andre Hogan, Savage Hogan, he's been looking for this feeling since 1984. That's something that I have noticed. Ever since Warrior beat Hogan and Hogan's been on the downtrend, his claims have become more and more absurd, like further from reality. And if you think about all the reasons we got surprised and praised him so much, it was that his rhetoric, he had the best rhetoric in the WWF in that you better like listen to it five times because every lair is doing something for some reason and often against people who he's supposed to be with or helping or this or that or the other. It's layered and it's connected. And the further he gets from that, the more absurd his claims get. And they're hitting nothing and they're saying nothing. And he's just making himself look bad absolutely yeah he's totally this fails on every level because he's like downgrading everything he's done since that time for no reason that he shouldn't even do because it makes no sense um he's referencing this is crazy wwf they don't even reference history 90 percent of the time here they break their rule and they do it for such a stupid reason that like could not even appeal to anyone he's making this claim which makes no sense He's saying, oh, history will change tonight. It won't. We all know it won't. It's stupid. Like, it couldn't fail worse. Like, every direction this promo goes is just a pathetic dead end. This is what you mean, too, when you say that they burned their will. They burned that goodwill. Absolutely. They're still doing it. Even with the good stuff that's happening, Hulk Hogan is still burning goodwill, and he's suddenly going to smell the smoke at the Royal Rumble 1992. By that time, everything will already be on fire. Why do you cheer The Undertaker over Hulk Hogan? Why do you cheer Sid over Hulk Hogan? Because The Undertaker might still deliver something. Like, The Undertaker claims to be an Undertaker, and he's actually putting people in caskets. Sid Justice claims to be Sid Justice, and he's kind of out there doing his thing. You know, you got hope with these people that they can say something and mean it. Mm. And that is now more than you can get from Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, this whole promo pissed me off so much. Yeah. And uh, it's, it, it's not just ahead. Hogan either. It's Warrior 2, but say what you're going to say. I was going to say, he's transitioned into like 90s Hogan is younger than 80s Hogan. He's fresher than 80s. Like, none of this is true. And then Gene Oakland. <laughs> so Gene Oakland transitions from talking to Hulk Hogan to talking to the Ultimate Warrior by saying, speaking of hell... And then moves to the ultimate way. <laughs> Couldn't be truer. Um, of course, uh, they reference the Jake Roberts storyline. Warrior screams that he's loaded down for the pit, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. He also tells us that a cobra can't stop 
Warrior Wildness, yeah. which I guess is his pathetic off-brand Hulkamania. Yeah. Um, so I guess we should just be grateful that WrestleMania was not renamed Wrestling Wildness or something. Yeah. So, oh, it's so pathetic, man. He's making Sid Justice look good. <laughs> he is. I would rather see those clenched teeth than this this abomination, and that's saying a lot. And this, man, this promo made me so glad that the Jake Roberts feud did not continue past the perfect place that it reached because they immediately just, like, throw it away. Hulk Hogan says, oh, those toxins, well, they just put more fire in the Warriors, so you know they were just going to no-sell all yeah. this stuff that happened, they were going to throw it out the window. And fortunately, God intervened and made the Ultimate Warrior get fired before that could happen. So thank you, God, for that. <laughs> yeah, in my mind, Ultimate Warrior died in that pit at the feet of Undertaker <laughs> and Jake Roberts. Yes. Oh, absolutely. This 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 is just a zombified shell of the Warrior wrestling his last match before he goes away. Yeah, he doesn't even finish the match. So it wasn't even out there. Who knows? <laughs> This is how you know Warrior was done anyway. This promo ends with Warrior saying in unison with Hogan, and it's so cringy and stupid, but they are saying in unison Hogan's catchphrase. So Warrior has now been little-buddied even more Mm -hmm. than Randy Savage ever was, and it matters even less. So it was just no wonder they fired this guy. They knew they were done with him anyway because you don't put him – this far under Hulk Hogan if you don't know that this guy is never going to be on top of your company again. Exactly. To all those liars who said that WCW brought in the Ultimate Warrior because Hulk Hogan needed to get his win back, watch this promo. Hulk Hogan got his win back in 1991. <laughs> it's the most embarrassing win that you could ever get. So Warrior is wrapped around him physically, clinging to him, quoting his stuff back to him. Oh, my God. Oh, it's bad. This is one of the worst promos we've seen in this whole thing. This this hurt me. So I think they know because Sid, Sid Justice is out right after that, and I was like, I didn't even know we were in the main event, and it's already like happening. <laughs> oh man. Well, if you didn't know Sid was in this, you'll definitely know it because I felt there was a ridiculous amount of Sid on this match. And, man, if you need Sid to carry your match, like, to carry the interest for your match, you've done a terrible job, I think. Like, something has really gone wrong. Yeah, and they kind of do, so. They do. This is a disaster. You have Sergeant Slaughter in the worst gimmick of his life, and he's partnering with two guys who had no business being in the ring at all, let alone in a main event. And he's against a dialed-in, a phoned-in Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior, who has one foot out the door, and he doesn't yeah. even know it, but he might as well know it. And then, yeah, the guy who's going to, like, create extra interest is Sid. It's Sid. Like, I know people are going to cheer Sid. I know he's got kind of this weird aura and charisma, but he's not going to do anything interesting. He's not capable of it. So, huh, this is just a disaster. This is the match made from hell because it sent me to hell because I had to watch it. <laughs> And the one thing he can't do is what's being asked of him, which is to play like a really complicated, conflicting, confusing character where you don't know which side. Instead, he just kind of calls the match down the middle and then like fast counts the end of it. <laughs> yeah, so there's not there's not a lot. This is again, this feels like one of the WCW main events that would be mocked for decades and decades because it didn't pay off. It didn't make sense, you know. But it's uh it's Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior taking on 
the axis of e no the 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 triangle of terror uh here in this main event i think uh mr mr uh sheik might be one of the best workers in the match amazingly that might be true even though he's far past his prime as well I don't know, like, there's no lower bar to jump over than to be the best worker in this match. I would probably say Slaughter, because he's, he's trying to bump his way to something here, but it doesn't work. I didn't feel like the crowd was even very interested in this, to be I honest. I agree. So, what are we even doing here? There's no, this is a negative urgency territory. Yeah, no kidding. There's nothing that they can do to them. If they, if they demol, if they did to, to Warrior and Hogan, what LOD did to power and glory, I would be like, oh, well, they'll get them next week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no, no energy in this match at all. I said, like, if you make a few changes to the show, it gets so much better. Like, take out the Bushwhackers, put in the Rockers. Why not? That just makes sense. Make this main event better. I'm trying to think, like... You would have had to switch some things around from that, but I'm trying to think of the best possible main event that could still fit here, and I'm thinking of Slaughter and Undertaker taking on Hogan, and not Warrior. What if you put Randy Savage in this role? That, 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 man, that could have been real interesting. Like I said, you'd have to mix some things around. I don't know if I want to deal with all the ripples of that, but man, just switching this out to be anything different, like, this, it was just so bad. It It could have been a lot better in a different configuration. It's the debut of Sid Justice, who you think is going to be your next Hulk Hogan. It's your actual Hulk Hogan, and it's the ultimate warrior who is also going to be the next Hulk Hogan. And it can't <laughs> mean event over a wedding that doesn't even have the Undertaker Jake Roberts part attached to it. Right, yeah. I mean, and it shouldn't have either, because that no. wedding is way more over than this match yeah. is, so... But you let that sink in, though. They they brought Sid Justice to be the next Hulk Hogan. Ultimate Warrior tried to be the next Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan was Hulk Hogan, and it rightfully can't get the main event bill. If they really thought Sid could be the next Hulk Hogan, they're even stupider than I thought. Because with Warrior, I never really believed it, but I could believe that someone else believed that maybe it could happen. But Sid, man... So much of what makes Hulk Hogan work is the way he interacts with the crowd, like the faces yeah. he makes, the way he moves. Sid has none of this. Watch him try to referee this match. Watch him make a big, like, clumsy show of pushing Hogan out of the corner, and then just, like, the stupid, like, cow-chewing cud look on his face when he just stands there looking at Sergeant Slaughter cheating later. And, like, he doesn't know what to do. He might as well have headlights coming at him. They're going to hit him in the road. Like, ah, uh, Sid, why Sid? Ah, okay. All right, that's what I got. Yeah, I will I will mention something similar at the end of the match. Um, oh, I don't use this word much because there's not really a place for it, Because it, but General Adnan might have the fakest offense I've ever seen in wrestling. <laughs> I don't know he, what they were thinking bringing in Adnan, because this was a guy who was at the end of his career when he was feuding with Nick Bockwinkle 10 years ago, which was actually a very good feud. And that was probably about it for him. And then he was a manager. And now here he is doing a terrible job in this main event that he shouldn't even have been in. I can't even blame him. Why was he here? Whose idea was this? It's so stupid. <laughs> ah, okay, I'm getting worked up now. I'm going to calm down for a second. He's doing stomps that have no stomp. He's stomach chopping the warrior and it has no chop. You're like, what? Even uh, Here's another one. If you, Like the LOD thing. If Sid had been heel... 
and sabotaged. Hogan and Warrior still would have just cleared the ring, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, this is an exercise in irrelevancy. Nothing about this feels like it matters at all. Okay, so here's something else I said that we can pay attention to storyline-wise. All right. Sid is a babyface here. Mm-hmm. When he could have easily been a heel. Like, if he wanted to be a heel, he could have went after Hogan and or Warrior and cemented it. So, like... I know what's going. To, there's going to be a press conference where he th- thinks he's going to get a title shot, but I want to kind of make sense of like he he, he said justice and he's clearly good at this time. So does he, does he just go to a press conference and Hogan gets the title shot or Savage gets the title shot and then he loses it? Is that his whole heel turn? More or less, we'll get into it, but basically, yes, that's it. He's just pissy that he didn't get the title shot, so. Uh, and okay. I mean, we're told that he's good. What does he do to show that he's good? He lets Hulk Hogan cheat, I guess, which is the most yeah. baby face thing you can do. But you wouldn't know it for most of his actions. Like he just stands there making stupid faces. So, you know, if that's the sign of a good guy, I guess he's the most good guy ever. But if stupid faces aren't a sign of virtue, then we don't have a whole lot of evidence to say what he is. Yeah. Well, Roddy Piper calls the the um, powder that Hogan uses justice and a girl of monsoon calls it victory powder. <laughs> so. Yes. Hulk ultimate warrior will chase the other two out of the ring. And like you said, he will just kind of abandon the match. So why not? Probably got fired before the match even ended. <laughs> uh, good. As soon as he ran back through that curtain, I hope they handed him his paper. <laughs> yes. And then yes, Hulk Hogan will just throw powder in slaughter's eyes and it's fine. Because Slaughter's bad, I guess. And, uh, yes, Sid will fast count him for the victory. So, uh, it's just garbage. I will say this between being a child and an, an adult. I, there was never a time in my life that I was a fan of Sid. But, like, this was my first year watching wrestling. And when Sid Justice appeared, it seemed like there was a force I said justice, that justice thing, and what was he going to do? Like, it seemed like there was a force to that. But when I watched the match here, you know, as an adult, a long way from there, <laughs> I don't know what he was booked to do, but he contributes nothing to the match. Like I said, all he does is call it down the middle and then fast count the end. So that intrigue is not even there. But then the, the moment you know you don't have your next Hulk Hogan, and this is why Hulk Hogan can wrestle and work, like, give like 11% and why he's trying to go to Hollywood, but hold on to his spot because ultimate warrior never had a chance to be the next Hulk Hogan. He doesn't understand wrestling. He doesn't care about wrestling. Like it was never going to happen. And when Hogan brings Sid back out and they flex together in one way, you think, Oh my God, this makes Hulk Hogan look bad because Sid's taller. He's younger and he's a lot bigger, but there is no eye contact with the fans. There is no presence of being there. Like you, like if you look at that moment, you can know you don't have your next Hulk Hogan. Mm. Yep. I, I'll say again, you just have to look at the face of Sid Vicious and the, the, the expressions that he makes. And yes, you're so right. No engagement with the fans. <sighs> just look at the look on his face and tell me that this guy really could have, uh, ever been on top of the company in a meaningful way i just can't imagine it and if we know it hulk hogan nobody knows it more than hulk hogan oh man i don't i don't think hulk hogan sweated sid for a second i think he sweated warrior for a second maybe i don't think he like 
he probably laughed in his locker room when he they were talking about Sid. So yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I made a comparison to Saul in the Bible. So um, in the in the Old Testament, uh, Israel wants a king, and God's like, no, you don't get a king because that's not how this nation does. But they want not only do they want a king, they want a tall king, and they want an impressive king. And so they get Saul, but Saul sins to the point that the anointing is not with him. And that's what Sid feels like to me. He feels like the big guy that Vince McMahon wants, but the charisma or the it or the thing is not with him. Mm. But we're going to keep on. And especially in a world because David, who does not look like much, is going to come after Saul. And we are in a world where Bret Hart is about to come after Hulk Hogan, but we're trying to give the WWF Sid. Mm. So take that for what it's worth. But that's what came to me while I was watching Sid pose with Hulk Hogan. And Yokozuna as Goliath. I love these biblical. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm Man, all Yoko, about. Can you, if, yeah. Go ahead. I'm just all about these biblical uh, connections. So go, <laughs> yeah. go on. Now, I, now, now I'm imagining Yoko would do a much better job coming out flexing with Hulk Hogan. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. <laughs> Sid, it's not going to happen. I wanted to be excited about Sid because there was something, again, as a child that I thought was like was happening with this. Sid has some – there's two things Sid can do. Let's just kind of have like an aura about yeah. him, and he does, and you can't take that away. And you can't teach it, and there's something about it. Like he will get cheered many times even when he's the heel. So like there's something there. I understand. He can do that, and he can squash a guy pretty good. He can't really do a single thing apart from those two things, and those things include cut a promo, wrestle a real match, <laughs> connect with fans in a meaningful way. These are kind of important things, but, you know, he can do a little bit, so I get it, but uh, he's still Sid. It's, I didn't even mention it before, but when he does his promo, Gino is like, are you good or bad, basically? And Sid's like, I answered this question a thousand times, <laughs> and I'm like, if you did, then why don't we know, Sid? Why yeah. don't we know if you think you communicated this so much? So just like... I just feel like he comes off like a dumbass at every second, and it was just never going to happen. I thought he was getting lost in the numbers, so he's like, they've asked me this a thousand times. I've answered this a thousand and eleven. This here's 742. I'm like, what are we talking about? Oh, shades of Scott Steiner. There. Yeah. Some interesting yeah. math. So, oh, my God. Uh, see, I get – I. Uh, I'm now imagining if you go watch Sid play softball, he's like the Hulk Hogan of softball. He's connecting with the fans. He's got charisma. <laughs> he's got love of the game. He's got strategy. <sighs> Vince McMahon, though, he, lo- he loves he loves him. He has a type, and Sid is going to be a multiple-time um, champion in the wrestling world. I think making him psycho Sid helps because then just let him blink and just be psychotic. And it just, uh, that's probably the best marketing move that they made. Yes. His weird, like disconnection from reality will be, uh, just, just, just lean into it. Why not? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, why is he staring vacantly all the time? Oh, cause he's a psycho. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> that was the, uh, match made in hell. Yep. And it really was. So now we have the match made in heaven, and this is the tagline that I know you remember from your earliest days, so uh, we got some good connection here to, to the childhood. Yeah, it's history, it's colors, like all I can remember from childhood with this is like kind of gold, yellow colors, and white, and just, you know, again, it's the spirituality of Savage, it's the madness, it's the whatever, you know, 
this is so different than Savage with Sherry, but there is still an otherworldliness to it. There is, and they, they broke their rule to not acknowledge history twice tonight because they will actually show a video package yeah. that is not just like the last few months. It's uh, many years back, all the way back to the beginning of Savage and WWF, and uh, it's a great video package. Uh, it's extremely well done to lead into this wedding here. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I went into this feeling like I did not feel like watching a wedding from 30 years ago. <laughs> and then the minute they start playing the video and you're seeing the history, like you just get swept up in it. And again, it's the opposite of the last match or the nasty boys for me. You know, it's even I didn't want to see this and I'm swept up in it and I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it's certainly unique in pay-per-view history that a segment like this that doesn't even have an angle attached to it on the broadcast um, could main event a pay-per-view. And yet it works. Something about it works. You know, it, it is uh, fun to watch it. It feels important. It feels like uh, it's kind of worthy in the, the spot that it's in. This is the greatest testimony to your claim that Savage should have stayed and been a top star until 97 because – he has been retired by the Ultimate Warrior. He hasn't been relevant even in a lot of what he was doing before he retired. He's wearing shirts. He's supposed to be old. He's supposed to be a little detached. And yet he's surpassing Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior doing a wedding without an angle as a retired person. Yeah, he's finally clearly surpassing Hulk Hogan, yes. something he couldn't do at a time where we kind of hoped that he would. But yes. now he is. So, uh Hogan has decreased, and Savage uh, has at least stayed on the same level, if not even increased. So, yeah, like now was the time, I think, to switch over to Randy Savage as uh, one of your permanent top guys until the wheels fell off. And it's real sad to me that that won't happen. Yeah. I don't know if Bret Hart, especially early Bret Hart, is touching this guy. So, you know, I think it was Savage's turn until it wasn't, and we, we never get it. And maybe partly that's what makes it so attractive, but... It's also that, like, well, for whatever reason, we don't get Hogan and Flair, we get Savage. In it. And I don't care about that main event. I, the main event is Ric Flair defending the world title against Randy Savage at WrestleMania 8. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny, the failure of Hulk Hogan, for whatever reason, the failure of Hulk Hogan and the failure of WWF, we need a savior. And it's the guy in shirts in the announce booth that we've tried to retire. Like, Randy Savage has to come to the rescue of Hulk Hogan and the WWF in the face of a potential Ric Flair Hulk Hogan matchup. And you need Randy Savage to bail you out of that somehow in 19. That's where we're at in 1992. Yeah. It's really something because they're already definitely trying to shelve him and they will have to go back to him in 92 and he will kind of rule the roost in 92 deservedly. So, and then they'll just try to shelve him again and you know, yeah. it will just do bad things for their bottom line. They were so determined to do it though. I really don't understand it. You're right. They try to do it in 91. He runs the company in 92. Uh, then they try to do it in 93. And could you remind me um, <laughs> when he puts DDP on the map? Uh, 1997, my friend. Oh, so how about that? That's uh, four years after 93 and six years after 91. So uh, who is at fault here? I do wonder. Mm, yep. Yep. Absolutely so. Oh, I always regret that no no Austin versus Savage in 97. Can you imagine just oh, mm. the beauty of it? Yeah, all of it. Brett, angry heel Bret Hart and Randy Savage. Mm -hmm. You know, even Shawn Michaels and uh, Randy Savage, all of it just would work. Uh, 
I want to shout out Liz uh, here because neither of us, like Liz is not our favorite um, <laughs> ever. But, yeah, this is a night where the main event is Randy Savage and Elizabeth, and Randy Savage is going to come out first. So the last person to come out in the main event, did you ever imagine in the days of George Steele versus Randy Savage with Elizabeth up on that big chair that Elizabeth would eventually break away from Savage, even show up multiple times to oppose Savage, then come out and save Savage and help redeem Savage. And then she would be the last person out at the main event of SummerSlam 1991. Mm. I'll say something that might be surprising, but Liz and Sid, I think, actually have a lot in common. And that's actually good for Liz because she's not being asked to do any of these things that Sid is being asked to do. All she really needs to have is this great presence that fans connect to. And, you know, again, you can't teach that. That's actually worth a lot. It's the perfect use of Liz to not ask her to do too much, to just kind of be Liz. And it works great here. Look how well it paid off. You know, she doesn't have to main event at WrestleMania. She doesn't have to wrestle at all. She doesn't have to cut promos hardly. She can just kind of be that presence, and it's the best thing for her. So, you know, it's weird because she almost contributes nothing intentionally to her own success yet she is successful and i enjoy these segments a lot so it's a weird connection but i think i do want to stand by it yeah yeah um she gets a big ovation uh when she comes out and a couple of notes that i want to uh kind of make here one is a savage and one's a savage and liz number one this is randy savage slowing down in a healthy way like this is a man we have praised for running around the building for being three people in one in his matches, but it's time to slow down for a little while and it's a healthy thing to do. So that in combination with this is a redemption story that kind of strips him momentarily of the madness, like strips him of whatever dark magic he was doing with Sherry, whatever his heel run was. In order to propose to Liz, he had to take his hat off to do it. In order to say his vows, he had to take his sunglasses off to do it. We are stripping away the madness, stripping away the speed, the running, the the just velocity, and we are getting Randy Savage beneath all of that. And I think for a short time, it's good for him and it's good for us. I feel like for the last several years, Randy Savage has been trying to outrun uh, his feelings, uh, trying to outrun the need to really be present in a situation. And in a way, he's been like hyper present in three situations at once. And yet, when you're trying to do that much, when you're moving that fast, you're not really present in a way that's going to allow you to truly feel the situation. You know, you're on the sea, you're flying by the seat of your pants, you're just like careening on to the next thing. You know, it's a different kind of thing. And here we see a savage who is only in one place at one time, and he is actually feeling everything that's happening, and he is as present as he is ever going to be. And from a character standpoint, it's a beautiful evolution. It's a beautiful juxtaposition to what he has been for the last several years. You feel like he really kind of found some peace at this time in terms of his character. And for me, that's great to see. That's very heartwarming. It is. It's partly why he is becoming the figure 
in the WWF as Hulk Hogan only becomes more hollow. Mm. Um, I noted that Heaven, uh, wrestling wise, story wise, is simply letting connected storylines, you know, do their thing, and Hell is kind of this manipulation of storylines and placing things that are insulting and not really there in front of our faces. <laughs> um, and then my last note, I'll just go ahead and say. One of the books I use the most when I'm teaching is a book called The Storytelling Animal. I use a quote or an idea from it that as human beings, we are storytelling creatures. So we we don't watch entertainment simply to escape or to be entertained. We want to see what's going to happen to somebody else at an emotional level before we go out and act because there's such consequences to being human that we want to see what's going to happen in other people before we go out and do a thing. Mm-hmm. And what does that tell us about our heroes? Because to take a, to take the heaven hell thing that we've been dealing with all night, Randy Savage, our hero, went through hell. Like he lost his best friend, he lost the love of his life. He went into a very dark place that spiraled down to be losing his career at the hands of the Ultimate Warrior. That is hell, and so he's in hell for all this time, and then he's gonna be in heaven. What? For one segment on SummerSlam, and then before you know it, hell itself, Jake Roberts and The Undertaker are going to crash this thing. So he's going to go from hell to heaven, right back to hell. And we want that, and we consume that, and we believe in that. And it tells you something about the human experience and what you have to be able to go through in this very difficult life. That we're watching someone go from hell to heaven, right back to hell, and we don't blink an eye. We just say, show me the best that I can do in this unfortunate reality with these things that we face. And Randy Savage is becoming our model, our hero, and our number one person uh, in the WWF right now. He is. The the, the crowds will be clamoring for the return of Randy Savage at the same time that they are turning on Hulk Hogan. And uh, you just look at the different pathways that they are on on this event, and it's very obvious why that is going to happen. Yeah. I was not watching WWF when Hulk Hogan got retired and we had that whole, like, you know, campaign. So that means nothing to me. I was watching during the reinstate the Macho Man campaign, and I remember that like I was outside picketing and protesting Jack Tunney. That's how much that statement is alive 30 years later because it resonated and I don't know that I knew the macho man. He probably was retired when I started watching it, but by God, I wanted to reinstate the macho man. <laughs> oh, that's amazing stuff. When did Hogan retire? When did- oh, when the earthquake put him out. Oh pff, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's the same. They, both of them had campaigns. Yeah, no, for sure. I would not have written a letter for Hogan, but yes, no. I would have uh, campaigned for macho man. Hollywood oh, man. Like, oh, this is the closest you're going to get to Hollywood, man. What if you just leave it all behind and don't come back? Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great letter. I would have sent that one for sure. All right. That takes us to the end of SummerSlam. Uh, we're going to be coming up on Survivor Series. A lot of big things are going to be happening. Next time we come along, Ric Flair is going to be in the company. I think uh, – there's no Saturday Night's Main Event or anything between this and the next pay-per-view, so I think the next episode may be just bonus material because there's way too much good stuff in this next stretch to not uh, fully cover it. So we're going to have that episode. We're going to have Survivor Series uh, Tuesday in Texas. 
that very weird and special event. We're going to cover that as well. And then uh, then we might have to take a little hiatus because I'm not sure if I mentioned on the air before, but I got a kid coming soon, so I might need to take some time for that. And uh, then, yeah, in the future, we'll definitely be back for the 1992 Royal Rumble. You know I'm very excited about that. So that is the near future for us. Some very good stuff going on. Mystic, anything you want to say before we wrap it up here? Yeah, so congratulations, number one. I didn't know when you were going to say it, and I didn't want to definitely get ahead of that, depending on what you wanted to say. Um, It also just hit me that when you're paranoid and you have trust issues, Mm. nobody can ever miss you because when things go wrong, you double down and triple down because you're already in good times afraid of being left out or pushed out. Mm. So when bad things happen, Savage you know, almost suffocated us in the madness. We didn't mind it because we liked him, but like, you know, the worst things get, you get two of him, three of him. I think it took being forced to go away for us to be able to miss him. So there's something really beautiful and reinstate the macho man. Number one, because he doesn't have the vulnerability to let this happen without it being forced, but it was forced and you find out that he's needed and you find out that he might be the guy only when he's forced to finally step back even from himself and people with trust issues. And I say this as someone, especially when I was younger, that was probably a lot like that. It takes a long time to figure out that a lot of that might just be you. Man, that, ah, yeah, it might just be you. I, mm, that's a heavy thought. We got to think on that for a bit. Uh, So on that note, and on setting up all the next episodes, I believe that is going to be it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to shout us out, I'm on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Check us out on LOPForums.com as well, where you can join the conversation. Also, WrestlingHeadlines.com for all that great news that you used to have to get out of the yellow pages or on the hotlines, and you can see it all now on the Internet if you didn't know that. Hopefully you did. Um, but yes, also do check out all the other great programs on LOP radio for a lot of great material there as well. Thank you once again, until next time, mystic, take us home until next time. Don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite.
there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared